What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Real Reality Realness with Brian K. James, the podcast where I, your host, Brian, interview figures in music, reality TV, and pop culture about their lives, their perspectives, and their platforms. Join me five days a week as I get to know some of my favorite people through their points of view and their journeys to their personal greatness. Lock in while I clock in, because we are about to get into it. Welcome and welcome back to the show. This is Real Reality Realness. I am Brian K. James, and I put the mess in the message. I am so excited to have Courtney Conkers back. You guys got her for an amazing round one where, where we got to all the deep shit, all the real shit, all the necessary shit, all the important shit that all of you children need to know out there, drag and society related. But she is back and we are here to continue that conversation and give you guys a part two of fun, mess, shade, kiki, and everything in between. So ladies, gentlemen, and every gender or lack thereof in between, welcome back to the show with me, Courtney Conkers. Hey, babe. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. I had so much fun last time. Of course. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate you. Oh my gosh, no problem. I love to sit and chat, so <laughs> it works for me. Ditto. I absolutely love this. So one of the questions that I had for you last time was, what advice or message do you have for drag queens that are coming up on the internet who may not feel like they have the ability to go on shows like RuPaul's Drag Race, Call Me Mother, Dragula, but still want to channel their 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 drag and their art into some form of success? Honestly, the biggest thing for me and that I see for a lot of people I know and like the number one thing I had to learn was to keep the fun in it. Because if you're not still enjoying what you're doing and you're not still having fun and like the only thing that's become central for you is either, you know, one lofty goal or proving yourself to be better than someone else or like proving somebody wrong. Like if you're not thoroughly enjoying it, you're not going to want to keep doing it and you're going to burn out in drag. And when you burn out in something as all consuming as doing drag, you're gonna burn out in the rest of your life too because it is such a high effort, high impact, like art form and thing to participate in. And like we said last time, like it's a microcosm and system within itself. And for a lot of people, it's honestly like sometimes a whole different job or reality or space or life than whatever they're doing to um to support doing drag or outside of drag or whatever their circumstances and for people who don't need to have something else in order to support their drag and are doing drag full-time that it becomes your whole reality so it's it's such an all-consuming tiring all invested kind of thing that if you don't 
frequently um, take the time to like remember why you're doing it. Check in with the people who got you into it, who you enjoy spending time the most. Go to the spaces that you feel the most comfortable and fun and safe in. That kind of thing. Like do the things that make you feel like silly and like drag is my favorite kind of drag is the kind of drag that people can with all respect say is stupid. Like you have to make sure your drag is still like stupid. Like it's stupid, it's still silly, it's still so, if my friends didn't look at me every once in a while and go, oh my God, that's so dumb. Like, I think I would start to feel like, why am I still doing this? Like, because we've gotten to a place before where, you know, our goals and the things that we had set as like the next thing we wanted to achieve were so, it, it, and it is very serious, but feels so serious. And so, you know, th there can be a lot of negativity depending on where you're taking your drag and how you're doing it and what kind of reception you get and um, what factors like what we talked about last time are in play. And if that's all you become surrounded in in drag and you don't take a moment to like step back and check out and just like enjoy yourself, um, you're never going to get to whatever that lofty goal is. Or when you do get there, you're not going to enjoy it as much. I feel like the people I see having the most success, and this includes artists that have been on some of the platforms you mentioned and some who haven't and who are doing their own thing. And I mean, there are countless drag artists out there and always have been who have all kinds of success without what are understood as like the key platforms of opportunity at this moment. Um, and who maybe do or do not have the goal of getting there, but they're thriving in their own way and their own niche and their own platform right now. And those are always, in my experience, the people I see still really thoroughly enjoying what they're doing and making sure they check in with themselves and those around them and making sure that it is still silly and it is still fun. And it's still got that element of like what took them into it and got them enjoying it in the first place. And it's usually not sure you wanna make money and you wanna finance your, your art and you wanna have longevity and establish yourself and establish your brand or platform and do all the things that enable you to keep doing what you're doing because even at the at the end of the day even if you're doing it for fun it's still networking and it's still a business and it takes a lot out of you but you you have to remember that like even when it's serious we don't always always have to be so serious about it and you have to make sure you're still enjoying what you're doing otherwise you got to pivot or pause or take a breath or something and you're not going to get to the place you want to be if you burn out before you even get there and you look around all of a sudden halfway to whatever your goal was and you go oh my god I hate this <laughs> like that's always a really sad thing to see and it happens to a lot of people I know um and a lot of them are those who aren't necessarily aiming for those big tv platforms just because they they, you know, without that support behind you, and I'm not saying that the girls that have been um, on shows like Drag Race don't still have to like self-generate work and, and, and work very hard because they do. And I'd be lying, anyone who says that is lying um, or mm -hmm. misunderstanding the reality. Um, but those who haven't had the, the wave behind them of like that temporary, you know, um, surgeons of reality TV support, um, you know, that, and everything that comes with that have to have to work a little, I want to say harder, but I'm going to say work a little differently and a little more consistently in pace. Um, and so the best they thing they can do for themselves is make sure that they're doing it in a way and they're producing stuff that they enjoy and that they want to produce and not what they feel like they need to just to like get somewhere.
I completely agree with you because I can apply that to drag. I can apply that to YouTube. I can apply that to this podcast. I can apply that to my content as a whole. Every time that yeah. I've tried to do something the way that everybody else is doing it, I've always burned out and, and have either walked away or have completely went in a completely different direction. Yeah. And it's like sometimes it's sometimes it's nice to hear from, you know, we've all got audiences in what you do, in what we do, in what drag artists do. You wanna give people something they're enjoying. And so listening to them is not necessarily the worst thing, but at the same time, like completely and utterly catering, not just your content, but the process and the pieces of your life it takes to create that content in these things that you're so heavily invested in doing it for other people to satisfy and please others when we're largely all in a sphere where like nobody's ever 100% happy and you're never going to satisfy 100% of the people 100% of the time. Um, that's that's just going to like hollow you out instead of, and like the whole point of drag and or following what you're passionate about in any context is to fill you up, right? So it's something I see happen a lot. I mean, it's something we've experienced too. When we first went out there and started creating drag content, you know, it started out really, really great. And then after a while, all people really wanted to see was shows associated with RuPaul's Drag Race. And so that was what we had the biggest access to at the time, just because of like real life and financial constraints when we very, very, very first started and who was able to travel at that time. Um, they just had a, the widest reach. And so all we ended up really posting was RuPaul's Drag Race stuff. And then we, despite the fact that we were local drag, we were local drag artists. We were working in and doing drag, performing gigs, all kinds of drag. We got all this backlash and there was like a like a hashtag started like nine years ago that was like, oh, drag coven hates local drag. And we were like, no, we, we literally are local drag, <laughs> but we didn't get a lot of support for, you know, issues that we kind of talked about last time. And the drag that was immediately accessible to us in the spaces that we were stuck living in at that time was primarily RuPaul's Drag Race drag. And so people had told us that's all they wanted. And then when we gave them that, people hated us for it. And so then we went back to primarily filming local drag because that's what we liked. That's what we we had first um, first encountered. Th those were the queens who were first very kind to us. Um, they were the ones who kind of took us under their wing and that's how we like got into drag. Like that, we went back to doing that and people would say things on YouTube like, well, who the fuck is this? And like, why, how come, uh, you know, this big show exactly. happened and Drag Coven didn't cover it? We'd be like, well, babe, you don't pay us. Nobody at that point was paying First us for anything. So like, what? Or they'd be, they'd say things like, well, you know, why are you screaming in the background of the video? Um, if your intention is for people to watch this. And I'd be like, Because I'm, I'm at a fucking drag show. Yeah, like I'm, I'm just a good having time. Fun, like you're what, but but then if I stand there and I don't scream and I don't cheer and I don't tip and I don't do anything because they don't want to fuck up the videos, Reddit threads pop up saying, Well, Courtney Conkers doesn't even support these drag queens and blah blah blah. And she's so miserable exactly. in clubs. And I'd be like, But when I was having fun and moving a lot, you all screamed at me saying our content was shit. And so there has to be, you have to find this sort of happy medium in if you're in a context where like people are consuming what you create and you do want to give them what they want to an extent, but you can't like fall over yourself and and like, you know, turn yourself inside out trying to give like please people because some people engage in reality TV, the internet, um, you know, 
arts and things where they're they play an observational role purely so they can critique and have something to complain about we all see that on twitter online with the you know fans of these shows at drag shows in your local area whatever it is so yeah i really you know we had to kind of learn that like no we were gonna go and watch and document and then eventually start working in the shows that we wanted to be involved in and like when it becomes work obviously there are certain scenarios where you do have to you know be around certain people or document certain people or work with certain people or in spaces or things that like maybe aren't your favorite but like you still have to find that line where okay I'm gonna do this to give like my consumers what they're expecting and wanting and I'm gonna be a professional and do my job but also like I'm gonna at the end of the day I'm gonna do the things that are fun I'm gonna do the things that I want to be involved in where I have a good time where I'm enjoying what I'm seeing and what I'm doing and the the people who kind of forget to keep that top of mind or find themselves in a place where sometimes you really if you want to if you want to have success in a certain thing that really means a lot to you um you can't necessarily like or you may feel like you can't necessarily like prioritize your own joy in that moment and that's where it becomes really really difficult and i see a lot of people sort of take a step back and go okay i have to reevaluate because is this really giving me what i want right now and and i think particularly to to loop all of this 20 minute diatribe back to your original question um, i think particularly for those drag artists who maybe aren't aiming for or have not yet decided to go for those bigger platforms um, when you are your own brand manager and your own PR and your own, you know, you're your own team or your team is very small and you're in the driver's seat, uh, I just really, you know, I would reemphasize a million times that like you've got to do what you enjoy at the heart of it and take people's reception with a grain of salt and take the reactions you get, you know, with an open heart and an open mind, but still with with a mind frame that's not going to let like that define you and so far as you're not hurting anyone like you have to love what you're doing for sure i'm glad that you brought up local drag because one of my next what what actually my next question was with your huge fan base and your proximity to the drag race stratosphere did you consider yourself a local drag queen but you answered that pretty pretty clearly when you were like bitch we are local drag like who are you talking to like like, yeah we are the culture We started like for, I always give this a caveat because I, I've never felt like 110% solid in like the historical information I have access to. But as far as any person I know, and I've, I myself and several friends uh, have had, have gone out and tried to like see if this is true or not. But at one point when I, when I started drag where I started it, which was in the basement of a Thai restaurant in a tiny dive bar called Swizzles in 2014 in Ottawa, Canada. Um, At that point, I was one of, if not the first of that era of drag, cis female drag queens doing them presenting drag. Um, And I started doing that before we became drag coven and I started it because it was fun and I started it because I'd made a couple friends who did drag and I started it because previously to that I'd sort of been misled to believe that drag artists were men in dresses and that if women engaged in drag they were only drag kings but at that time and I fucking love and respect drag kings so much at that time a lot of the drag kings in the area and probably honestly 
continent-wide, scene-wide, were being um, limited in what they were told was like acceptable drag king-age. And they were being sort of pigeonholed as like, their drag was supposed to be incredibly overly masculine. Super, super, I have the hiccups, sorry. Super, my hyper, hyper masculine. And a lot of people equated that concept of hyper masculinity with a lot of problematic stuff that we're all sort of fed by the media, right? And that was the expectation yeah. that drag kings were held to. If they were not doing that, they didn't really want to hire them. And the drag kings were like, okay, what? So to be hired, I have to be this like hyper masculine, overly sexual, misogynist. aggressive, <laughs> yeah. misogynistic. Like, but you know, a lot of drag kings and not all, but a lot of drag kings identify as women underneath that. And so it becomes this weird cycle in which like you're partially doing this thing to break out of systems of misogyny but then in that you're expected by cis men around you to engage in misogyny and it was just like and a lot of the drag kings I knew because I'd spoken to them they loved doing drag but they didn't like that and so when it came to my friends encouraging me to get into drag I was like I fucking hate that I don't want to do that like ew these poor queers like why would you want to so I didn't want to be a drag king because I hadn't, no one ever told me and I had yet at the very, very beginning to get in there and do my own research. And honestly, like I would have only been able to go so far within the scene itself because of the, the limitations that people were putting on drag kings themselves. I have big issues with hypermasculinity and aggressive masculinity and hypersexuality. And I had traumatic experiences in my life with people who fit into those roles. And I completely and utterly respected these other queer people's choice to engage in that through a drag character. And I very much enjoyed watching a lot of them because they, they found they were intelligent people and incredible artists and they found a way to put a spin on it that was like not just purely like pandering to like what fucking men told them they had to keep doing to like be mask enough whether they were masked or not all the time um but it wasn't something that I personally wanted to engage in it didn't make me feel good it didn't make me feel fulfilled the whole point of me wanting to engage in drag and me connecting at first with drag kings or drag queens above and beyond the fact that they were the ones I had the more more access to because I because I already knew people who did it um was the whole idea of like reclaiming my femininity and my connection with my femininity as a person who had always had a very sort of hegemonic concept of femininity like aggressively shoved down my throat by the whole world so I didn't exactly. connect at all with this idea of being a drag king and so I just said well I'm gonna do I'm gonna do drag as a drag queen then and no one else in that area at that time was doing it and so I was widely understood as like the first person to be doing that and I highly doubt that throughout the history of like drag in Ontario women have been doing drag women of all identities of all kinds have been doing all kinds of drag for hundreds and hundreds of years and the only reason people didn't know that at the time was because of like queer femi erasure and the fact that straight cis white men wrote history books and when they wanted to write about the other and the fringe cultures they approached straight gay white or sorry they approached cis gay white men because they were the most like them and so that's the history that got written and what people largely had access to and that's where the understanding of you know drag is man dressed as woman largely came from when in reality it's a much more diverse fabric than that but at the time when we started we are my friends were drag queens and when i got wanted to get into drag i wanted to be a drag queen and so you know we were local drag in that our first friends in drag were local drag queens and my my first friend in drag who like really really helped me um, was Isis Couture, who then went on to win season two of Canada's Drag Race. Like we've known her for like 10 or 11 years. Um, yeah. And so from there, like watching her shows is 
is how we really, really, really got into it. Then I started watching Drag Race. Then I went on and met people like Alaska who were like deeply influential. And from there, you know, we got inspired by local drag. We started engaging local drag. I started performing in local drag. And I became Drag Coven probably like, six months into that process. So our local drag and us being local drag and within the fabric of local drag came first. But when I moved scenes and faced a lot of misogyny and faced a lot of, frankly, violence based on the fact that they hadn't really seen, those people in that time had not really seen a lot of drag artists who were like me with bodies like mine doing the kind of drag that I was doing because I moved from Ottawa to Toronto. And again, I love and caveat again, I love and respect the Toronto scene and it's evolved like crazy, but it just had some bad apples at the time. Um, That was what kind of pushed us into being what people perceived as just little drag race fangirls who only really did drag race stuff. And it wasn't because we were not local drag or we hated local drag or we never supported local drag. It was because the local drag in the area we were in told us to fuck ourselves. And so the people who I wasn't in that loving, accepting scene I'd been in before anymore, it was very, it was six hours away and I was a poor. Um, I didn't really have access to those people anymore. And the people I did have access to were uh, Jinx Monsoon, Alaska Thunderfuck, Willem Bella, like a lot of these people, George Alano, like Bianca Del Rio, like those were sort of the first queen. Alaska Thunderfuck was like pivotal in like the process of drag that changed my life and changed who I am as a person and got us to where we are today. Like she's a fundamental piece of like my drag and my identity and all of the above. So, um, but she'd been on Drag Race the year that we kind of started doing this so, or the year before. So so we, because those were the people who were giving us support and telling us, no, you're not a piece of shit. No, you're not appropriating a culture. You can't appropriate a culture that people like you have always been a part of. What you're experiencing is misogyny. What you are doing is not cosplay. It is actually drag. You have every right to be here in queer spaces. Um, it helped us figure out the, ident- the identities we ended up claiming in the end. Like, that was perceived outwardly because it's reality TV and it's social media and all that kind of stuff. That was perceived as us only valuing drag that was on RuPaul's Drag Race. And in reality, we just had the fortunate experience of connecting on a personal and human level with certain people who happened to have been on the show. Um, And there were a lot of people who were very, very supportive. And, you know, we ended up, when we were not feeling safe or comfortable in Toronto, we ended up, the more we traveled for the Drag Race gigs, because that was where our friends were, by the time that whole process fell out, the more we got to know people in different cities and and those local drag sit, scenes in those cities, in various cities across like the, just the immediate driving vicinity of our of our little like town of Hamilton, um, they they began seeing that like we were not these like fangirl aggressive fangirl pieces of shit we'd been made out to be and we got a lot of support from cities like columbus ohio and like ann arbor michigan and like in new york city and in chicago and in all these places we had the 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 absolute fortune and luck to go and so that kind of helped us because like the more we got to see them the, the girls were really good the drag race girls and 
were really good about calling for local drag people from the cities they were visiting to be hired in their shows. And so the more we got to see those shows, the more we got to see local people from the scene open, the more we got to know those people, especially because we were taking photos that didn't suck and videos that weren't blurry. And then networking with those artists when they like asked if they could get copies and that kind of thing, or when we posted them and like people would follow because they followed us and they really liked that drag artist. And that's kind of how it started to like get rolling. Um, but you know, the, the, yes, we were always like drag race fangirls and like, we love the show and we've always gone to drag con and, you know, again, pivotal people in our life happen to have been on drag race, but the conception that we were like, that was all there is to it is ass backwards and wrong because we were in local drag way before we just, there was a, just a weird perception of people like us. And, and frankly, we got pushed out a little bit at the beginning. And, and, and if the only people who were going to stand there with open, respectful arms to help me figure out my identity and make sure that I was safe and respected at the gigs that I was trying to go to, even just as like a, a respectful consumer and not a person working in the industry a whole lot yet, because I was new. If those were Drag Race girls or later on, Dra Dragula didn't exist yet at the time, but you know, if those were queens who had a TV backing behind them, they're still people and they're still right. giving me respect and support and I'm going to mutually engage in that. And that's how friendships are formed. So it was a weird thing, but like, I mean, the reality, the system that Drag Race became, like the reality is, you know, Drag race drag and drag are very different things. And like, if you're not engaging with and understanding and supporting and helping your local communities thrive, I don't understand how people think that drag's gonna be sustainable without that local support, because who's gonna be left to get on drag race and be on that thing you love if you don't put love and support and, you know, financial backing into the local scenes where drag race casts from so it's it's a whole circle like it's a circular system it's a symbiotic like relationship i think um but yeah we not only fucking love local drag but like we've been local drag since 2014 so that was always a weird we'd be like what do you even know who, why are you talking to me what are you talking about it, i completely yeah. understand that you know it's crazy because you know i kind of relate to that in a very smaller way um, to what you're saying because there was a point when I first started out in drag I was the only black girl in the room for like oh, at least course. the first year or two of me doing drag like I was the first Damn. Like, like, like for at least the first year or two because I'm in Alabama of all places so I, so like I was the only black girl in the room for a long time and like when I would go to different places I would see that the black girls that I would link up with would be the only black girl in their club so it would be like oh that really sucks but yeah in saying that it turned into like me not necessarily feeling like I connected with my drag community not necessarily because I was the only black girl but I didn't necessarily feel embraced because I was the new girl I didn't drag in the way that they wanted that 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 they did drag like 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 you know my drag was like androgynous and urban as the girls would say <laughs> <coughs> um but you know what would be so funny about when the girls would would, would call me urban it's like you're saying that I'm urban for doing little Kim but you as a white girl have an entire train of it Oh my mm, god. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. I see, you. I see you, sister. Okay. But then but then but then when the girls pull out and I do blondie, 
or I do Ashley Simpson, which is probably the um song that that I got clocked for doing the most. I I, I would do Ashley Simpson probably more than anybody. <laughs> I respect the choice. It's my go-to. I love Ashley. That first album mm-hmm. is incredible to me. It's iconic. But anyway, so like in saying that, there became a time where I was pretty much like had a hosting residency at this one club in Florida that would like have all the Drag Race girls come through and they would always hire me to come and guest host when the Drag Race girls came, right? Mm-hmm. So I got to like get to know a lot of the girls that that um, that um came through, Raja O'Hara, Silky, Vanjie, like all of those girls. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I always had instant connections with those girls. Like they were always so nice, so welcoming, like, like just easy conversation. It was never awkward. But when I would walk into dressing rooms with local girls it would always feel so weird it would always just be weird it would always be and like that that doesn't go for every single drag queen that I've ever worked with in every single club but I'm saying like the general consensus on an average what I would like I like I I would feel like Katie Herring walking into the school for the first time (laughs) yeah I think it's a shame like I think part of that comes from I mean individual insecurity we're all like little ex-bullied kids who like felt weird in school and it like mirrors that experience but I also think it comes from and I don't think that this is just the fault of drag race or like other drag based like large platforms I think it comes it's a kind of like what we talked about last time with like drag industry being like a microcosm of like the entertainment industry and bringing in smaller versions of like a lot of the problematic systems that come there I find that the systems that drag artists are often put into in order to like get their work and succeed in their scene and do that well enough to even be considered for the larger platforms, um, they are often, with a few places accepted, so um, strict and so rigid in a way that pits drag artists against each other and like makes everybody so overly competitive and like that doesn't necessarily always drive with everybody's like individual personality some people you know like are able to like be competitive but like also like accepting and like mutual in their like careers and in their scene and other people like if they are pit too much against each other made to feel like they have to be like no shit cutthroat like punch a bitch competitive like they're gonna mm-hmm. react to that and like so so I can't take like individual responsibility off of like anybody and the actions that they choose and, and the way that they like engage with others but like sure. I just find it such a shame because so many of this the local systems and by systems I mean like who's given booking power, who's put in management positions, who is given the funds to like dole out pay and how and to who and why and at what rate, um, what the expectations are and how they're put on different artists differently and why. Um, like that kind of thing, I think that a lot of drag artists would be happier, healthier, and frankly, nicer people <laughs> if if they yeah, were sort of if a lot of the problems that exist in like the managerial systems that they are thrust into and have to work with to get money um kind of teased out some of 
their problems and there wouldn't be that sort of like there would be but there wouldn't be as much of that trickle down effect of like drag artists being cutthroat and girls like coming for each other's wigs and like people walking into a dressing room immediately being made to feel unwelcome for reasons they cannot figure out why for things they you know we've been made to feel unwelcome in spaces by people I've never met in my life and I have no idea what I did and then it turns out I didn't do anything they just like heard some rumor that's a complete lie from someone else and occasionally someone will come up to us and go hey I made a large assumption about you and it was a really negative one and I don't know why I think it was groupthink because I read a lie that turned out to not be true on the internet and like I was mean to you as a result and I just want to apologize because when I met you you were actually really really cool and really kind and you like helped me out and defended me when like someone got in my space and I'm always floored by that because a I think that's really big to like not only like come out and apologize to me about something but also like admit all of that backstory but also b I've always <laughs> been floored that like you know drag is worldwide and it's this incredible history that's gone on for a bazillion years but it's also such a small space that like why why is anybody in god knows fucking where telling some rumor lie about someone from across the country you know another continent what pardon like and i and i think that what has then fed into that already existing reality is that division of those who have been on certain platforms primarily those that are televised and those who have not because i think again like i said the local girls are the ones who are going to become the rude girls or the dragular girls or whatever so if you like kind of cut the scene off at the knees like where does it go like you know you kind of cauterize your own blood flow um but then like at the same time i mean I, you know what you're getting into when you go on a reality show and there is incredible privilege that goes along with that but things like being on tour are incredibly isolating and things like facing mass criticism from people who have no goddamn idea what they're talking about on social media simply because they watch you for one hour per week for for eight weeks that's an isolating experience and the people who have shared understanding of what going through that is like have also been on the show and had that distinction put between them and say their previous scene their local scene scenes they used to travel and work for because now they're quote unquote tv queens and this is before we even get into the fact that like barely any drag queens have even been allowed or drag kings have even been allowed in the space but like in terms of artists themselves so i think there are just so many lines being drawn that aren't necessary and distinctions being made that don't aren't productive and don't thrive and like i mean i understand i work in to i tour manage like i understand understand you have to put a big name on the poster and sell tickets and and you know whatever um and certain people's name have big draw and certain people are money makers and this that and whatever i get it i i understand the capitalist intricacies of it better than the average person but at the same time like on the social scale when you get into these local queens won't talk to that local queen because her drag doesn't look like this or this manager won't book that person because you know they've got a certain type of genitals or that person can't walk into a dressing room without feeling weird about this person because some other person said something that they didn't know was completely true so now they're fighting for no reason and like that person is nervous to talk to that person because they were on tv but that person feels lonely and just wants to talk to some other fucking drag artists because they've been on the road for 12 weeks it's so wild to me <laughs> like it, i could spiral about it like it's just there are so many little intricacies that go into it and a lot of it relates back to who supports local scenes and how who supports tv drag and how uh the relationship between the two how the bookers i also could go on for hours and hours about how um you know 
primarily those who are booking drag and thereby making money off of it um, and given the funds to generate these opportunities and therefore have like things like casting power, whether it's for a TV show, a tour, a gig, what have you, um, are cis men who do not do drag. And they then have incredible power over queer people who do do drag and like the rest of us and how that has like a wild impact on who gets to be successful and how they get treated and like who makes the most money off of drag whether they do it or not that's a whole thing I could also get into and I find that it plays into this sort of like drawing lines in the sand that we're talking about where you know you it's it just blows my mind <laughs> I completely feel you it's it's it... You know, it's crazy because you 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 hear this all the time. Like mm-hmm. like 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 you know, take drag out of it and let's say let's talk about uh rap music, for example. Rap music yeah. created by people of color in the ghettos and the slums, people white people never want to show their face. Okay. Yep. But yet the music industry is ran by old white men. Mm-hmm. Our country as a whole is ran by old white men and systematically upheld by principles that were created by old white men who didn't consider black people a full human being. Exactly. So I always, so I just kind of had this conversation a while ago in my last interview. I was saying like, how do you expect certain people to get certain things right when they have the pl- when they have the privilege of blissful ignorance when they oh, have completely. no reason <laughs> when they have no reason to be concerned about something that is your everyday plight you can't expect them to just step up and just be like oh okay da 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 da, da. just like back in the 90s before celebrities were called clout chasers for using their plight to bring awareness to causes um mm-hmm. You remember back in the 90s when, you know, people were doing all of this campaigning for AIDS research, cancer research, this disease, that disease, that situation, that that's the situation. Mm-hmm. How did all of those speeches start? Well, this person in my family, I happen to deal with this. I, this is close to my heart because my mother, my brother, my sister, my cousin, my friend, they never have any reason to be worried about this situation that they're now campaigning and have dedicated their lives to until it hits close to home. So mm-hmm. why Until it touches people, their life. Exactly. So why do people always automatically expect people to understand their plight when they don't have no reason to even think about it? Like, and I try to give people the bare... <laughs> the fit of the doubt with that mm-hmm. until I realize that those people are too complacent in their privilege to actually recognize that there are issues with said privilege. Do you get what oh, I mean? Completely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting let's... too, because then you, you know, with all of that in consideration, a lot of people are expected to then sort of speak up about their experience and or educate others about their experience, which puts a giant onus and exhausting responsibility on them, but then also often gets responses like, why are you virtue signaling? Why are you being aggressive and angry? Uh, Why is your reaction so bad? When in reality, you're only reacting to an action that like tipped that off. Um, And it's like, there's this expectation or there's this like, 
people often are put in a position where they have to then talk about that experience because they come to terms with the fact that unless they're talking about it, those people are going to be complacent. It hasn't touched their reality. So they don't, they're not going to think of it because it's not even within their sphere or their eyeline, uh, you know, most likely because of privilege, one always because of privilege. And then, so you do talk about it and then why you're talking about it gets questioned or like, and it, and it feeds into like every part of, I mean, every part of life, but for our, the purposes of our context, every part of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It just, it's like these specific places that we're speaking about these situations happening, they're all just microcosms of what's happening in the greater society that we're all residing in. And if I, and I think that if people would just take, take it from that perspective and be like, yeah, this is happening in this situation, but imagine how this could be happening over here and over here mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and on that show and on this situation and in that group and in this business. Like, imagine yeah. how much more empathetic people could be if they would just step outside of their own perspective and realize, hey, it's not just you. And, and I'm pretty sure, like, not even that there's worse going on, but it's like, it ain't just you. Mm-hmm. Like, it ain't just you. And then your perspective is not the only one that matters. Absolutely. White people in power, I'm specifically talking to you. <laughs> As, call them out. <laughs> that's what I'm here. Like, that's the only, but see, that doing shit like this is the only reason why I have a voice on the internet. It's because right. I did this shit without thinking about it. Like I would call into people's YouTube channels when I first kind of like started in this like pop culture space. And I would call into people's YouTube channels and I would just say the shit. Like, like, mm-hmm. like, I, like, like I would just say, yeah, that shit was racist as fuck. Yeah, that person's a colorist. Yeah, that was misogynistic as hell. Yeah, yeah, that was xenophobic vibes. Uh, <laughs> and people would say that I was saying such profound and deep shit. And I was like, this is just like y'all, like y'all, like y- y- y'all don't see this? Y'all ain't talking about this? Like, like I can't be the only one that sees it. it. And it really made me feel like I was the only one talking about it, which is why I ended up starting my YouTube channel and then eventually um, this podcast. Because I wanted to, like, that, 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 that's part of the reason why I started doing these interviews on this podcast. Because this podcast started as, as a reality recap show. Not a talk show. Yes. So I started doing that big... Because I was like, I can't be the only one having these these conversations. I can't be the only one watching Housewives and seeing colorism. I can't be the only one watching Housewives and seeing racism. I can't be the only one watching Housewives and seeing a, 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 a black woman painting a black man as overly aggressive for no reason to a white ass fan base. I cannot be the only one seeing this. Well, and I think that people forget in the pure um, like and mindless entertainment bingeability of reality shows like the ones that we're talking about here and the ones that you've just addressed. I think people forget that like those are still, especially now that reality TV is such a huge machine, those are culture makers and that has an impact and an influence and kind of determines how we as like a society move forward and calling it out and naming what you see even if you you know are still working on communicating the intricacies of like why it doesn't sit well with you that's part of like responsible viewership that's responsible consuming of content and it's 
work. It's hard work. Like as much as, you know, I'm sure we'd all love to sit down and zone out and just be purely mindlessly entertained by something, but I don't want to be mindlessly consuming messages that, you know, I have the kind of meanings you've just called out, but at the same time, generating discussion and flagging that to other people and being like, okay, but we have to think about, I'm not saying, not necessarily not saying like you know don't watch that show fuck that show forever but like calling out what you see and being smart about how you understand it and what you take from it is is so 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 important and i also think that talking about it is like a a very important thing as well even though it's like exhausting (laughs) to constantly be switched on and analytical that way but i don't want to be mindlessly consuming like messages about society from any and any show ever but particularly those that are understood as reality and just like taking that and being like okay and like not thinking about like what it's telling me or what it's telling like other people absolutely like i wish that I could watch reality TV with escapism, like everybody yeah. else. I wish I could just watch it and be ignorant and blind to, to the bullshit and just kiki and all the mess like like everybody else. Yeah. But, and however, um, it, it just, I, I, I just, for, for what? Like, like. Truly. Because well, I got to sit here and watch it and be triggered without warning. So why the hell can't I talk about it? And my problem is, if why is it that we can't hold people of color calling out racist shit on reality TV to the same standard that we call out misogyny? Oh, if exactly. I had a dollar, if I had a dollar for every time that the internet lost its fucking mind every time a husband called his wife a bitch on TV Mm -hmm. but nobody has an issue with racism on television or or for prime example the fact that Erica Jane felt so blatantly comfortable saying the word faggot on TV oh yeah with no thought process and well, and she's in some shit now, isn't she? <laughs> I don't know if you've read about the whole Marco Marco thing and her fraud scandal, trying to take some queer, independent queer designers uh, for a fucking ride and whole other issue. But I have not heard just because I just try to t- like I tune out of Housewives. Like I, I like I like 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 I like I barely watch TV anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> for so I've been so I so I. I so I pretty much spend my time on YouTube. Like, 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 like for me, it's Zoom and YouTube with the occasional mm-hmm. porn every now and again. But for Zoom balance. and YouTube is where it's at for me. For balance, you know, for science. Yeah. Reading material. But like, I so I don't even really be knowing. And I have, like, I'm, like, I have social media for promotional purposes, but it's not like I'm out here just scrolling and doing, you know, just in the people comment sections and shit. Like, I'm mm-hmm. just not on that. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what's going on. I've heard a little something about Erica got a fraud scandal, but I haven't heard any details yet. So, and like people who are listening to this podcast will like think I'm crazy because they'll be like, well, don't you host a podcast all, all about housewives? We're on a break <laughs> right now because my um, co-host is sick. So if she doesn't keep me abreast of what's going on, I don't know she. Yeah, of course. Because... <laughs> like my housewives podcast is really like I created the um show but it's really her show and I just show up and do whatever the fuck she tells me to do. <laughs> like that's really what it is <laughs> like like housewives is her thing and I like talking shit so I just show up and totally do 
Yeah, but you can you can have like a full conversation about like the nuances and like systems therein, just like we're doing right now, right? Without being the one spearheading like the content. Yeah, exactly. Right. She can conceptually speak with you, but like she can be the holder of the housewives trivia knowledge, you know. Exactly. Like, you know, she'll bring the references. She'll remember the episode. She'll remember what year shit aired. And I'll just remember, oh, yeah, that was problematic. And I don't like that. Or <laughs> I was on this person's side because of this. Or I didn't agree with this person because of that. Like, 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 like you know, I'll get into the mess. But I don't really do the whole trivia and like all, all of that part. So like, I, so like, she's the righteous and I'm the ratchet part of that. Uh, listen, again, for balance. <laughs> Shout out to Megan. God bless you, girl. <laughs> I always think it's—I always think it's so funny. I hope she feels better soon. I always think, think it's so funny um, because, like, that sort of like fifty-fifty division in a relationship, like for balance, like in a professional or a friendship or like whatever kind of relationship. Um, mm-hmm. Jamie and I very much have that in Drag Coven as well, and we uh, we have completely opposing like strengths and weaknesses in a way that is so stupidly complimentary that like those who know us very well will actually tease us about it like I always joke that like she does the things and I do the people because like I am a writer (laughs) I'm like I'm an ex-military brat so I'm like social to an absolute fault because like I had to make my friends over and over again my whole childhood and that just characteristic just like never left me and like Jamie's not antisocial but she's an incredibly skilled crafter she's the one who is like a, a killer driver She's like very good at like figuring things out and like MacGyvering different ways to do stuff. Whereas I can talk our way into or out of most of anything and write emails like just rapid fire as long as for, you know, at lightning speed. Like, so I do a lot of the communication stuff and she does a lot of the really practical stuff. And like, we just have a really good balance. Um, But it's so like easily clockable like who's gonna take on what or who's gonna do what or who's gonna like you know if someone emails and says like hey can I talk to you for like an interview or can I get a written quote from you or can I you know feature you in a documentary or whatever like 100% of the time Jamie's just gonna fire that to me and be like yep that's that's your thing go hard like if you're hearing from quote unquote us you're hearing from me because I know like her thoughts on my thoughts on things that are most often my thoughts and like you know I can I have a lot of experience speaking and she like, she's actually very good at it, but like, she just doesn't really care for it. So like, I'm going to do that. Whereas if somebody emails us and says like, Hey, I need this photo edited. And also like, I'm looking to make like this t-shirt for such and such, whatever. And I'd also like to make a poster. Like I'm useless at that. And like, I'm crafty, but I'm not skilled in the way you want. So you're going to go over here and talk to the Jamie department because she's good at stuff. (laughs) Like, and, and, you know, it's just completely, uh, I am always amused by the way that like duos or pairs who like go into like co-creation or some type of business together so often have like their own version of that like 50-50 balance that like somehow in there like ends up equating whatever measure of success and like you each have your like own role and you know you're working together but like you can definitely like make up for (laughs) whatever the other one like doesn't enjoy doing which I think is just like a beautiful story for everyone. I completely agree with that because I kind of was a part of my own drag coven back in the day when I was doing drag. Me and my best friend, Alex, we pretty much started drag together and like we ended up creating the House of Menthol and it became a whole thing in the South or whatever. But I love that. 
it, but it was that kind of thing, you know, before he passed in 2020 from suicide, God bless him. But I'm sorry um, to hear that. Thank you. Um, but that's why I don't do drag anymore. When he died, I just retired. But um, yeah. Yeah, because I can't see myself doing drag without him. It just doesn't make sense to me. But um, but yeah, when we were together, like it like, you know, it would always be that type of thing of like when like people knew to approach us, they always went to Alex because <laughs> I, I was standoffish. I like I like I was not the people person. I was Alex's person. Like yeah. I, like 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 to get to me, go to Alex. Mm-hmm. So like so like he would do all of like the booking and the people stuff and sending the emails and talking to people and. <laughs> you know promoters and all of that and I did the creative shit so mm-hmm. I, I would do do like concepts and flyers and graphics and you know show ideas and the the, the behind the scenes production stuff that was mostly me now all of the public you know face stuff that was Alex and yep. people just like like people just knew big by the way that we interacted with people after the show. Mm-hmm. Because Alex would be the one going out, talking to people, mingling, socializing, da 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 I would be in a corner with a drink, or blunt, minding my business, <laughs> like, like, or, or, or like, I became famous for this doing drag. I would be the person who would end the show, get out of drag in 30 seconds, and spend the rest of the night in the middle of the dance floor by myself. I love that. <laughs> That is my judge. I will yep. like, get, get me a vodka Red Bull and sit me in the middle of the dance floor by myself. I will be there for hours. And Alex will be out there mingling, networking, socializing, doing all of that. And I will be out there having a good time. Then shall y'all just call me when it's curtain call. Call me when it's <laughs> showtime and then that's when I'll come up. <laughs> Tap me in at curtain call. That's so funny. See, it for balance. <laughs> For balance, but the craziest part is that people—the opposite side of that—is that people always thought that we were dating. Oh, us too. Longer, people thought that we were together the entire time, and we would just look at each other like, "How?" Mm-hmm. Because it's ne- like it's never even been a thought. Like, ne- like, we- like, like we met each other in relationships for one. So, oh, that's so funny. Right, and then even after that. Like, we never even had that thought process. And I've been married since I was 25. I'm 31 now. Been with my husband since I was 19. So I've been in a relationship the entire time that I've, that I knew how. So it was like, but like, my, but like my husband works and we traveled. So like, he was never really at the shows after we left our home bar. And like, once we started traveling and doing shows, he was never there. Mm -hmm. But like, but like, if you remembered us in the very beginning when we were like cast at a home bar, my husband was there all the time. So like, people who like knew us in our hometown knew I was married. But if you took us anywhere else, it was like no one ever knew because I never talked to anybody. One, and then two, <laughs> we were always together. So like, they were right. like, "Yeah, where's your boyfriend?" And it was like, "Who?" You know, da 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 da. And I was like, and it's no. so funny how people are so um, willing to just like fabricate things about you the second you have any type of like 
not even notoriety. The second you're in any role where they are an observer of you, be that like social media influencers, performers, people on reality TV shows, local um, like icons who do advocacy, like anybody with any type of like following of any size, the moment that you have any form of visibility, um, people are more than willing to just sort of like make assumptions and like fabricate what they think like your storyline might be or what people who people might be to you and it's just so funny because like oh people think that Jamie and I are dating all the time um and we have never in a billion years Jamie is asexual not that asexual people can't date but like um it's like it's just <laughs> right. never been that um and and people will just like uh you know assume that like we're married because now I've gone and moved into moved into Jamie's family home as well <laughs> so just Aww. to really throw everybody off so um but people will just absolutely just be like that I think this is what's going on so I'm gonna take it as fact and they like don't even ask <laughs> don't even bother like people have assumed that forever and and honestly honestly Alex and I were more like Zach and Cody completely we were more like Drake and Josh. We like to. We were more like Keenan and Kel. I like yeah. to say that we were like Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., but I was never that classy. <laughs> I was never that classy. Alex was. I was never that classy. But, but like we were more like Zach and Cody. Like we were like what? Like we like people would ask us were we dating, and like we would literally like gag. Like we'd be like, uh -oh. yeah, no ma'am, no ma'am. Because, exactly. like, I feel like, but, like, we were the people who were, like, completely comfortable being naked in front of each other, like, but, like, we were, like, but, like, we felt like we were kids that took baths together in, like, preschool. Yeah, totally. So it was, yeah. like, what, 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 what's the, like, so what? <laughs> it's such a funny thing. I think a lot of people, too, though, I think... <laughs> back on the idea of like wider social systems being applied to all our little microcosms. Um, I think I've always found it really interesting, particularly since, so I haven't properly dated anybody since 2014. I just got busy, found things that I really enjoyed doing, made a lot of changes in my life, uh, you know, discovered a new identity that had been there all along that I like wasn't realizing was real and um, forgot that dating existed so um, I completely understand that a and a lot of level. people I know who do things like content creation or art or drag or whatever and really invest a lot of their identity in that um, and a lot of like their selfhood in that I, I feel it's like a, not an uncommon experience for people like us but especially in like queerness but oh, I sure. it may really hit home for me at, at within the last few years or so I guess that like so much of the way that people measure their own success, society measures the success of individuals, um, how you're perceived by others and how the world reads you is based on like the way they frame your relationships with those around you and the people in your life. And they're constantly putting higher value, higher assumption on, higher emphasis on, et cetera, et cetera, on like romantic relationships versus like meaningful platonic ones. And I feel like that deeply centers this idea that like the goal in life is to like find a partner and get married. The goal in life is to like hit these certain benchmarks that all are within a framework of 
primarily heterosexual, but like of like marriage and like, you know, getting a home with a partner and like these things, like your value is often placed on whether or not you have like a partner and you're supposed to like identify yourself as like versus like single or not single. Like, whereas like, you know, if you're single, it's a bad thing and you're supposed to like cry on Valentine's Day or be like so aggressively single that you like never date again. And maybe you're lonely and it's meaningless and blah, 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 all this like patriarchal bullshit. And I'm just like, that's so odd to me because I feel like I'm a person who like, I have always gotten a lot of that like emotional fulfillment and a lot of like those, feelings-based processes and experiences from my platonic relationships. And I don't feel like I need to be like slapping myself out there to like force the idea of having a romantic relationship with somebody just because that's what I'm like, quote unquote, supposed to do. (laughs) And if I'm getting, if I'm perfectly happy with the platonic relationships in my life, then those are just as meaningful to me. And I want to prioritize those. Why is that a weird thing? Why is that like, what do you mean people are going to look at me and my best friend and be like, I don't understand. What do you mean you're not dating? You spend all your time together. And I'm like, okay, but having a best friend doesn't end when you leave high school. Like, what are you talking about? Like, so what? So like, I remember one time uh, a friend of mine from university, like sent me a message and was just sort of like catching up on drag shit. And they'd started watching drag race. And so I was the only person in their life who had any connection to drag. So I was now their like resident drag expert. And that happens a lot. And it's usually a really positive experience. And I, and I love that. But I remember them being like, oh, so what are you doing lately? And I had been catching them up on like our plans and our travels. And they were like, oh my God, it's just such a funny thing. Like what an odd thing to like be like a fully grown adult and you still like have sleepovers with your friends all the time. Like woo, slumber party. And I was like, oh my God, like what? I I don't want to say it's a sad reality. (laughs) Yeah, like I I don't want to say it's a sad reality for someone else because I'm sure like they're very happy and I don't want to like pass judgment on someone else's life, I guess. But like in what world do I, why would I want to live in a world where I can't have sleep slumber parties with my friends? Who fucking cares how old I am? Like, it's just such a weird thing to me. I used to talk about this a lot with like, um, Brooklyn Heights is one of my other like very closest friends. And she, again, is also like not a person who puts like a super like life centering emphasis on dating. She's very busy. She's been out here for the last 10 years, knocking her goals out of the sky at like lightning speed and like doing so in a really awesome way. And like, so we've always talked a lot about like, you know, she'll be like, oh, I was like kind of interested in some guy, but then like it, he started trying to do all this really like you know, classic, rigid, romantic bullshit and having these expectations of me that just like don't work for me. And like, I just, I don't know. I don't fucking care about dating enough to like deal. She's, she'd be like, I, you know, this sounds cold hearted, but I don't care about dating enough to like change myself or what I'm doing for like a person I don't even know that well. And it's not that, you know, I respect them, but like, I'm not going to, you know, change my whole life because someone said I'm supposed to like get a boyfriend. And I'd be like, fuck same. Like, that's such a weird mentality. Like, why is my only, like, why is my whole sense of self supposed to be centered on like whether or not I'm in a romantic relationship and we'd like get so into these like vents about like I'm not even opposed to it but if it's like not what I'm not going to make it my whole like purpose of my life is to like just date after date after date after date trying to like find this one thing I'm told I'm supposed to find that uh, that most people don't and then what I spend my half my life disappointed and like we'd go on and on and on venting like this and then we'd like pause and she'd just be like we are going to be two only lonely old ladies sitting on our porch in, in uh, rocking chairs together at 85 with a bunch of cats. And I'd be like, yeah, but we won't be lonely because we'll have a bunch of cats. Like, 
<laughs> and it's just the same like a lot of queer people I know just like I just think that the world puts too much emphasis on like one particular type of like hegemonic relationship even in queerness it's still like a very like standard framework of like you know relationships are paramount and sh they should be romantic and you got to find that one person and are you dating are you dating are you dating are you dating and like oh that person you spend a lot of time with are you dating and like I find that personally like a little bit obsessive and weird and like I just don't I don't give a fuck about dating like I don't I don't I don't have any doors closed but like you know someone someone older in my life the other day asked me like well are you ever gonna get married and I, and I literally went who fucking cares who cares? I don't give a yeah. fuck if I ever get married. Like, who cares? Like, I mean, maybe I'm not like opposed to it, but, but like, I don't give a fuck. Who cares? If I don't, who cares? Like, yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm with you on that because I've learned, like, I've really come to my greatest independence through being married, to be perfectly honest. And I, like, yeah. there's a lot that I've learned about myself through being married. I've learned that I am very open to polyamory through being married. Oh, awesome. I've learned that I am pansexual through being married. I've learned that I, I, I've learned to be comfortable with my kinks being married mm -hmm. because I've sexualized a lot of my own trauma, um, as I'm sure most do. But mm -hmm. so, and I've also learned that I could never be in another relationship again and be perfectly happy from being married. Yeah. Because, you know, not to say that I have a terrible marriage, because saying all of that sounds like my husband is the devil, but that's not the case. It's just that one, meeting somebody at 19 and still being with them at 31, you're a completely different person at those two ages. Oh, yes. One, like I spent my entire 20s with the same person, the, the entirety. 19 to 31 we're still together i'm saying that but but like yeah. i've spent my entire 20s with this man so like i've become an, a, a completely entirely different person and it's caused me to reevaluate like do we also fit together as these new mm -hmm. people who we've become in our 30s like is that a thing like do people still get married married fresh out of high school and then stay together until they're dead does that <laughs> still happen anymore like Truly. i don't know and then on top of that, does the people like are the people that we're becoming compatible now? And then it's mm -hmm. also made me realize like I don't need to be in a relationship to feel complete. I feel like a part of me realized growing up, growing up and just doing the self work that a lot of the times I got into relationships just chasing some sort of familiar family type of aspect and because I didn't want to be alone it was, it was yeah. because I didn't have a strong family dynamic growing up I didn't have a family growing up I was raised by myself I have eight brothers and sisters but I was raised as an only child like mm -hmm. I don't have a relationship with with my parents so I was looking for family a lot growing up and so when it comes to my friends and my relationships they all led to that mm -hmm. it's just so it's like I you know in the person that I've become today, I've realized like I don't need a companion to be okay. I've become my own best my my own best friend from being married, and I figured that out now because my now my husband drives trucks, so he's gone like three out of right. four weeks at a time. Damn. So I'm here, just me and our daughter most of the time. So uh -huh. I've so I've had to depend on myself. I've had to figure out what to do with my 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 own time. And to your point about filling your time with your work. A, 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 um, content creator and not really caring about relationships that's what I've done that's why yeah. I do 
two to three interviews a day, seven days a week, so that I can mm-hmm. always keep my mind going and so that I, 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 so that I don't have to think about anything. But when does my daughter get home from school and when is my next Zoom call? Yeah, well, and I think that that whole process of like, um, kind of the discovery you do for yourself whether you're doing it, you know, I think regardless of how old you are when you do it, I think we all do it over and over again, periodically at different times. You can For do it individually. Sure. You've, you've, it sounds like you've probably done a, a measure of that together. I think that acknowledging that and making space for it and talking about it like before, during and after like this, like that makes for a healthier sense of self for yourself and also within all of your relationships, your marriage included, your friendships included, you as a family member, a parent, whatever included. Like, I think that the the hegemonic emphasis on very certain relationships that look a certain way that we were talking about before, um, I, I think it's sort of like a damaging mold to kind of smash yourself into. And if you can go through these other processes, it's only going to like, benefit your relationship with yourself and people like a married partner i think it just makes it that even if it like sounds weird and people don't understand what you know your relationships with various people are or like your marriage looks different than other people's marriage whatever like especially if you're in a partnership with somebody who's who's traveling and it very much has their own thing like that it's it's so healthy for you to like have your own things that are for you and then come together and have things that are for you as a unit too like i think that's so important and like I, I don't know. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that relationships are just thought about very strangely in society. <laughs> you know, if it's not a heteronormative, cisgender, heterosexual relationship, like people don't understand it. You know yeah. what I mean? And even in heterosexual relationships, that's where the heteronormative comes in. If it's not mm-hmm. one man, one woman, one and a half kids, a dog, a white picket fence, you're dating to get married. You want to have a baby by 35. You you want to be married by 30. You want to spend the rest of your life with one person in this one single family ranch style home in Rancho Cucamonga. Like, <laughs> it's like, who? Like, who? Yeah. Well, and like, like almost nobody succeeds at that. And then we have like generations of people like, you know, measuring their self-worth in terms of I did not achieve that and therefore disappointment slash failure. And it's like, that's so disheartening. That's so hollowing. Like, I feel like if we just conceptualized friendships from the beginning differently and then therefore by that framework, romantic relationships and the value they hold and the import they hold completely differently, I feel like we'd all go into adulthood marriages, even friendships as teenagers, that kind of thing, with a way healthier sense of like the how much of oneself should go into it and the boundaries you should have and or how much you actually should invest in those relationships and how. I think people would have much more effective partnerships and friendships if we like all kind of thought about those things a little differently and realized that like romantic relationships, yeah, okay, sure, they're important and they can be very good, but like they shouldn't be all consuming necessarily and or like there are boundaries that can be put down for that to still be like a successful marriage or like boundaries that can be lifted for that to still be a successful marriage and then also like parallel to that because you know we all have varying types of relationships in our lives like I think a lot of friendships would be a lot more healthy and I think a lot of family relationships would be a lot healthier if the 
concrete understandings of what a a child examples, uh, an adult child, for example, like what their relationship should look like and the judgments that like parents or grandparents or or other family members will pass on them as a consequence um, will be. Like, I just think, yeah, I think really, I do a lot of thinking about how fucking weird relationships are and they're weird because we've made them weird. And why did we do that? Yes. Why did we try to make everybody the same? Why do yeah. we? Why, why does everybody have to be on one accord? Like, 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 truly, like, like child, why do we all got to be marching in on the same damn number? Why do we got to march to the beat of the same drum? Like, exactly. why? Why does everybody got to be the same? Why does there have to be a normal? I think that's what has fucked up society, for lack mm-hmm. of better phrasing. Like, is the fact that we all have to try to figure out how to come to some one accord and one normal. If we can just allow an equal amount of respect in people's differences, I think that's the only one accord that we need to be on is just respect mm-hmm. everybody's individuality and mind your damn business. Precisely. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> that's all. And that actually leads into my next question. You know, speaking of, you know, giving people respect and minding your damn business, as a successful drag artist outside of the drag reality television system, I ain't gonna say no names, drag race, regular, call me mother. Um, <laughs> do you think, and I'm, well, well, I guess I have to say the name if I'm gonna quote this right. Do you think the RuPaul's Drag Race done fucked up drag? <laughs> Honestly? Hey, Jan. Kind, kind of, kind of. But I don't know that it was Drag Race itself. I think mm-hmm. it was a little bit of column A and a little co- little bit of column B in that column A is the, what we talked about before, where the entertainment systems and the reality TV systems and things that exist outside of Drag Race have become part of the microcosm of drag and Drag Race and the systems surrounding that whole subset of the industry. And column B is a little bit of what I talked about before in that um, a lot of the people who hold the power, the management positions, the money, the ability to dole out opportunities, that kind of thing, um, that still to this day, not entirely, but still to this day, largely sits with people who do not do drag. And at some levels, not all, but some, people who are not even members of the queer community. They are usually also white. I think those things together and how intrinsic those are within shows like Drag Race, not exclusively Drag Race, but Drag Race is the biggest and easiest example. Um, I think that the bigger and more mainstream and more in the spotlight Drag Race has become, the more intrinsically the people I just described must be involved for its continued success and therefore the more that they have say and power over the drag that comes out of Drag Race and that is then reflected, the power structures up there are then reflected and mirrored and mimicked 
in local drag. And I don't think that that impact has always been positive or productive. So on one hand, I, I'm still of the mind, I fucking love Drag Race. I am at heart, like I'm gonna be a Drag Race fan. Um, I love it. I am also fully putting it out there with absolute acknowledgement that I personally and professionally have benefited directly and indirectly from Drag Race existing because it has generated work for me and all of my friends. I have watched my friends go from being like destitute and barely making it to becoming like borderline millionaires. Um, And I've watched that happen over and over and over again as more and more of our friends from various local scenes because we've had the privilege to travel become cast on shows like Drag Race itself and shows like Drag Race. Um, I have also my work has been featured on Drag Race. We have been mentioned on Drag mentioned on Drag Race. My face has been on Drag Race three to four times. Like I am very often hired because people know that I am work within the trusted sphere of those who are associated with Drag Race. I benefit from Drag Race. I benefit in the way that the scene benefits and it generates more drag work when more people want to see drag and therefore more gigs happen and more tours happen and I am hired to work on those things. But I also directly benefit in that, like I have worked for and with and thanks to Drag Race itself. So I I love Drag Race. I love the way that Drag Race like it is sort of an accessible starting point for people to learn about drag and people to learn about queerness in certain subsets of queerness in certain forms that are most often digestible and very catered and potentially watered down because they have to be because of the venue that it is in currently. Um, Mm. I think all of that is very beneficial. However, we've talked a lot about the damage that reality TV can do when it is consumed without thought um, and as escapism and taken as fact. Um, We've talked a lot about, again, like I can't stress enough how it is in oftentimes problematic that a lot of the people who do things like determining who will be cast on Drag Race, not all of them and not for all franchises, the the big tip top tip top network heads that get to approve whether whether or not drag race even happens or is deemed valuable enough to continue those are all old straight white men like above and beyond anybody working for drag race the people at the top of the networks that get to determine the future of drag race and and whether or not it's going to get aired straight white men um the the people who uh you know, have the money to produce the tours that happen as a result of so many Drag Race alumni being out there and working and being bookable and having a lot of draw to their name. Again, 99% of the time, those are cis gay men who most often, not always, because I know a lot of successful drag queen producers and I love that. And I know a lot of success, I, I know less, but a lot of successful female producers and I love that um, and queer producers and and whatever, but most of them are cis gay men. Most of the people who have the money to go and book people in the post drag race drag sphere are cis gay men and most of them do not do drag. And there is I don't know. I don't think I know a single producer who is completely free from some kind of drama of who they're booking and why and what their casts look like and are, you know, is it diverse enough and is there drama and do they continually book people who display bad behavior and are nasty to others and cut other people's opportunity off at the knees out of some type of self-interest and then they like book them again and reward that behavior simply because like they're funny or popular or they have a lot of draw rather than like putting other values forward and hiring the people who practice a lot of like respect and you know there are all these complicated factors there in 
And a lot of those are trickle down impacts from drag race existing in a way that intrinsically involves people who are not drag artists being given a lot of power and a lot of funds and a lot of control over who gets certain opportunities and when and how and why. And I, uh, that's the only thing I think I can openly say I hate about the drag race machine is that the people who are often determining whether on drag race itself, on these other TV shows, or in just general drag work in a post drag race world, um, or a mid drag race world, cause it, it hasn't ended, um, is that they are very, very often people who do not do drag. And yet they are given the power to say whose drag is good, whose drag is valuable, what artists should and should not do, who's gonna get work, who's gonna make the good money and who's gonna get certain opportunities. I kind of think that's fucked. I I don't like it. Um, I have also experienced personally and professionally as an individual, as a duo, as a scene, as a group, of, you know, a member of various marginalized groups. Like I have experienced the fact that, you know, back in the day, nobody but people who read as cis gay man were featured on Drag Race. And therefore in my little corner of the world in local drag, I did not get hired for money for years because Drag Race said that women didn't do drag. And Drag Race didn't actually say that at that time, but based on who they were featuring, that is how people understood it. And people did not consume that message critically or think about it. So it was just women can't do drag. And I, as a consequence, did not get hired for money for years and years and years. And that is not a unique experience to me. So I, I think it, it's done amazing things for drag and I'm so grateful that it exists and I'm grateful for the ways that it's like benefited me and those close to me. And I am glad to be living in an age of like drag being this, this, the way that drag is mainstream, like successful right now and trending and because become the machine that it is, is like unprecedented historical, you know, it's, it's boundary pushing. It's important. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it. But at the same time, there are certain facets of it where like there are a lot of cis white gays making a lot of money off the backs of drag queens who they don't understand don't respect don't fully support the way that they should that they have a duty of care to and they simply don't bother and they don't even do drag (laughs) and they get to determine the the careers of these hard-working artists the careers of all of us and I just think that's fucked. I think it's fucked. I think it's unavoidable. I don't think it's anybody's fault individually. I think it's part of the system of white men hired at the top, cis white men hired at the top. So cis white men hire more cis white men. And you know, you get a few of the others in there somewhere, but like they don't have as much power so they can only bring in so many, you know, that part is the part that I do not like and that I see most of the time, if I'm taking issue with something that I have experienced or seen in drag, it can in some way, even if just by super analytical people like myself, be linked back to the implications that the involvement of people like I'm talking about have in being like the only gatekeepers of a lot of the opportunities that exist. And I don't think that, that's not to say that like every cis white gay that produces events is problematic. I work for the cis white gay that produce events. Like, and and I 
will absolutely say um, those who have provided me with the biggest opportunities in my whole life and career and paid me my absolute worth and like done the most for me also happen to be cis white gays. But the fact still remains that people that look like them and exist like them are are also often the ones doing the most damage. So, you know, there's exceptions to every rule and I'm not going to say that it's everybody. Um but it's but it's a fact. It's 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 j- another facet in which the systemic fucked upness of society that we've talked about so many times plays out in drag and in the drag race sphere. Um there's a whole lot of cis white male power with no drag knowledge mouths determining a whole lot of stuff for queer people, trans people, people of color, people who are not super vastly represented on these big platforms yet, even though like that's gotten phenomenally better in the last five or so so years. It's still people who have historically had power maintaining power and doling out bits and pieces of opportunity and pay to the rest of us based on their own value systems, which is a little weird, a little questionable, a little weird. Grateful Greg Rice exists. I love it. I I mean, I have a good enough relationship with them that like we get sent their PR boxes when we get a new season. So like if I fucked and hated Drag Race <laughs> and I was going around saying that like I, I which I would be because I'm not exactly one to hold my tongue. Like obviously I have a good relationship with them and I, and I, I appreciate and value that. And like I'm glad the show exists and and I'm supportive of my friends who choose to go on it. Um, but I do think that that is one of the ways in which yes unfortunately for drag race itself and the people who continue to put work into like mitigating regular industry damage and like trying to make it the best it can be because there are a lot of people who represent other groups than the one i have talked about and a lot of people who put a lot of work and their literal blood, sweat, and tears into making it something that's not damaging to the community. And that's also like important to call out and very valuable. Those individuals like deserve the world. But at the same time, like the fact remains that there are still a lot of these people I'm describing and they, and they, it's gonna always be a little weird that like that's who holds a lot of the power and the rest of us just have to hope that they like see us as valuable enough to feature or pay. Like it's- yeah. It's a little weird. <laughs> it's really weird because it's like, how do you like that should be something that's just easily determinable. Like, do you yeah. do the job? Do you do it to the level to match the pay rate? Okay, fine. What else is there to talk about? Right. Like, well, and also like, I just find it so odd that like in 2023, with all of the conversations that have happened, even just since the beginning of the pandemic that I I know a lot of like facets of like the drag race phenomenon very much do put the work in to like hire local community consultants and like have that sort of authentic like representation from within the drag community itself in certain processes of the show that like I'm not privy to but like you know things and hear things here and there um however like I I I just think that a lot of not even just drag race, but a lot of drag TV and a lot of big drag events and a lot of like local production companies and stuff like the hierarchy is still in favor of the cis white gay at the top or the Mm -hmm. cis white man at the top. If you think of like TV networks and how we're all like stuck working within the framework of like, you know, such and such media mogul. Um, Yeah. 
Andy that Cohen. person, <laughs> truly, that person is still at the top and that person is still making the most and benefiting the most as a person who is not even, sometimes, sometimes is not even a part of the queer community. And even as a part of the queer community, oftentimes does not even do drag, barely knows anything about it from actual no shit self it, 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 personal experience like sure maybe you have friends who do drag but like if you and I'm not saying that like you can never engage with something that like you don't personally do but I do think that drag is an interesting example of a phenomenon in which those who know shit do it and those who are the ones that people are there to see don't necessarily benefit the most even though their skill is the only reason we're all here it's kind of like the managers making all the money for like the singers who are then like you know put in weird contracts that steal their music from them even though they're the ones singing and this manager over here barely you know knows a tune like it's that's that's, my exact example yeah yeah like it's kind of and I don't think it's like I don't know a whole lot I know a whole lot of producers and managers and I don't know a lot that are like no shit like out to exploit or being malicious or whatever but it's still power and funding and opportunity sitting with one very particular type of person who does not come from you know directly within that no shit drag based community and experience making the most money oftentimes not everyone but oftentimes making the most money off of that kind of art and those kinds of people and they get to determine who gets those opportunities and when and why and it's just like yeah it's 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 that's the part i see being a problem in the world of drag while drag race airs yeah i totally see that it's you know it's a totally cop it's a totally convoluted conversation mm-hmm. but it but it's definitely one that needs to be had because with with the positive comes the negative do you get what i mean yeah totally so like, exactly yeah for sure so like from that same perspective what do you think are your favorite parts about drag's transition or its evolution i, I, I i'll say to the mainstream Oh my God, there are so many good parts. I The fact that I have seen, even just personally in like my like whatever, eight and a half, almost nine years of doing this, I have seen so many drag artists, so many friends from my personal life go from quite literally not being able to pay their rent. And these are people of like all different intersecting identities and backgrounds, not able to pay their rent even like while trying to maintain, you know, some kind of other job while also engaging in drag, just because of the forces working against them in society, go to being outspoken advocates, you know, models, actors, uh, uh, activists, um, singers, have these crazy successful careers, put so much of themselves into their work and actually get the kind of return they were always worthy of, like, you know end up with fans who respect them like obviously there are always issues of like people not knowing boundaries and like harassment and like artists being valued inequitably compared to other artists and and all of that but on the grand scheme like the fact that I have seen these people go from like maybe not even talking about doing drag and doing it only in like dark dive bars to being hired in like the world's biggest fashion shows or hosting their own shows or whatever having some type of crazy return as an openly queer artist doing an openly and historically and factually queer thing 
That's amazing. They bring so much visibility to the queer community in ways that are by and large so positive and so empowering and so fulfilling. And there are so many, so this past week actually, is a perfect example of like my favorite impact of drag being in like such the mainstream fear, sphere and not being related to like just artists being able to make a living which and, and also like frankly since these drag tv shows have existed other artists like myself included like the fact that people who have not been on these platforms can also make a living primarily i have another job now but like for part of my year, the last two years, I've been able to put my day job on hold and only work within the drag industry and support myself wow. with just that. And I'm by no means the only one. So the fact that even those of us who don't have access to and or have chosen not to access those bigger platforms can through the, you know, feeding of the industry and feeding of the local scenes still make a living in drag thanks to that kind of like visibility and mainstreaming, that's huge and that's positive in itself. And I think that that's like really fucking phenomenal. There have always been drag artists that like, you know, supported themselves and made their whole living in drag. But I think that's become a much more prevalent experience. And that's really wild. But to also take it away from just like monetary value and just, you know, capitalism. Um, hmm. This past week, I got to be involved in various like support roles for a tour Um that featured certain drag queen, Canadian drag queens. And there were, there was local talent and there was like Canada's Drag Race talent. And they went around and did um, a combination tour that was partially for adult audiences in venues at night, but then during the day, time partially for um like pre-teen and teen sort of middle and high school audiences that was formulated with like you know one age appropriate number per artist but then a q and a where the students could ask questions to these queer artists and also where the queer artists before performing did like a little talk um and just talked about their experiences um realizing they were queer, coming out as queer, getting into drag, um, becoming active parts of the queer community, et cetera, et cetera. Um, positive mm -hmm. and negative, the the talks were really vulnerable and really transparent, um, you know, very, very upfront in a way that was like age appropriate. And it was put on with government funding from like the government of Canada and through a well-known charity that's like very like reputable with parents, very well respected. Um, and basically it was that through their school, certain like, um, a lot of people were still calling them like gay straight alliances, but certain like queer alliance groups in the schools could like bid to like have the tour come to their city. And it was so cool because like, I'm not that old, I'm 33. In, when I was in high school, especially when I was in middle school, like the places I lived in, that never would have happened in a bazillion, million, gazillion years to have a bunch of drag queens come in and talk to kids about Absolutely. being queer and queerness. And, you know, and it wasn't just like, I'm queer, are you queer? Yay, we're weirdos. It was very like the process of like navigating boundaries with family and friends, the process of using words that are respectful for people who are like or unlike yourself, um, the yeah. process of like figuring out how your queer identity, or maybe you don't know if you're queer yet, maybe you're just questioning. Some of the kids who were in there, you know, are not queer, but their best friend is or their sibling is. And so they came along as like support systems for those kids. Um, it was all of that, but then it was also just like, 
talking about art and talking about being a performer or there were kids in there who you know they have no interest in performing but they want to get into politics and they're already involved in like their middle school government but like the the concepts therein of talking about like following your passions and concentrating on your dreams and setting reasonable goals and boundaries for yourself and da 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 communicating with those around you like those are very applicable right so there were all kinds of kids there primarily from like either queer backgrounds or navigating their own queerness or in queer friendships um and they were talking to drag queens and that was that's something that again it was affiliated with like performers from cannabis drag race and also i i would i would argue that it probably before the era of drag race reality television or drag reality television in general probably would not have been a thing that happened especially around like rural ontario like so that is one of the biggest um benefits to drag being as mainstream as it is now i think because i saw i also saw these beautiful respectful healthy relationships between students and teachers as mutual support systems and like professional and what when the kids are older would be like workplace you know relationships these just just these kids and these students talking to each other in such like a an age appropriate but healthy adult effective productive respectful way that like when i was a kid teachers were still screaming at us and calling us morons and like just wouldn't you know treating us like we were nothing but dumb kids and like there's the mutual respect that i saw going on between the teachers and the students organizing these events there was also like a big leadership element because like part of um this drag event coming to part of getting to see like ooh these fancy drag race queens come to your school was that the the events with the schools were very heavily student led so it was also like a bit of like a leadership initiative and like sort of skills like events planning a lot of the kids would be the ones to do things like the land acknowledgement um and so which is a thing that never would have happened when i was in school either so um acknowledging the indigenous peoples who uh, you know originally um were living on and caring for these lands and it would be one of the kids doing it and so that was a learning curve for a lot of the people who came from different schools in areas that maybe don't com- as commonly do land acknowledgments it was also kids doing public speaking and then the foundation that was actually running the tour um they had a little like courage award and like a teacher or a peer could nominate at each school where they went could nominate a kid for like their activism or like something cool that they like started or led or did or you know whatever and so people got like a little award and like got to be acknowledged for like their hard works in, in like leadership or like fostering safe spaces for like their fellow queer students or or whatever and drag was at the center of it and it wasn't it wasn't only like kids who did drag or kids who liked drag or kids who knew drag but because drag artists have always been such visible leaders of the queer community um it was just really cool to see how that got to play a role in helping foster this space where these kids were like doing and learning and talking about so much and with at at, at a level that was so advanced and so accepting and so respectful and so pill- so filled with like navigating consent and like just it was it was unlike anything i ever experienced in school myself um and i didn't even go to schools that had like really bad reputations or anything like i was just in regular school like regular old public school <laughs> like so it was really really amazing and i don't think 
that to my memory i don't remember seeing things like that involving drag artists happening in an era before drag reality tv so even though i certainly have my critiques of like the impact that those television shows have had on the drag community itself um i just see so many monetary and non-monetary like youth-based benefits and like beautiful impacts from drag being at the forefront and like obviously there's a lot of really scary stuff with increased invisibility or increased increased invisibility hold on increased visibility mm-hmm. comes increased backlash and like you know there's we could sit here and talk for 17 days about the absolutely whacked <laughs> and fucked up nature of like the right wing campaign against drag and the absolute voyeurism it is because they don't actually give a fuck about the drag it's their queer phobia and transphobia coming to the forefront um exactly. and the fact that they're they're targeting drag artists is a sham and the fact that they are using the safety of children as their cover is also voyeurism because they don't give a fuck about the kids they are using the kids as a tool to act on their weird queer phobic fantasies um i could go about on and on and on about that forever but i also have a suspicion that above and beyond drags mainstreaming i think that would have happened eventually anyways i don't think i think drag the the popularity and mainstreaming of drag was just a really easy opportunity for them to jump on and we were just kind of unlucky that that you know they happened to look at us before they looked at some other group um exactly i think it would have happened anyways but you know above and beyond all of that um yeah, I just see a lot of really beautiful. I am I am grateful to be living in an era where these shows exist. Um, but I don't think, like we said before, that we should ever, even as a person who has directly benefited, who continually works in the periphery of um, and who is grateful for things like Drag Race, Dragula, Call Me Mother, etc. I don't think, like we said before, we should ever watch and consume these things and the messages they include without thinking critically about what we are seeing and whether it's right and where it's coming from and who it impacts and why. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, we always got to look at the the duality and look at both the positives and the negatives and really try to take the good with the bad because at the end of the day, that's life like life is a catch-22 life is a double-edged sword and life is a double-sided coin so it's like wherever there is good there is going to be negative because people aren't a monolith and back to that one accord that we were talking about earlier not everybody's going to be able like 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 you can't please everybody there's never going to be a way to get every single person in the world in the country in the city in the state on one accord so it's like you just got to do what you can and Back to that whole mind of your damn business. Exactly. <laughs> Crazy how that comes up as such a common theme. You know, I didn't. Re- you know, I didn't realize how much I'd be telling people to mind your damn business on my show today. But go, but, but go off. <laughs> Keep the mess in the message, honey. Where, where, wherever it is appropriate, lay it out for the children. Sometimes they need to hear it. Period. What's your <laughs> ultimate goal for the coven? You know, this answer has changed a lot over the years and I'm just going to like toot our own horn a little bit here because I don't do that often because like inevitably some child on Reddit will tell me to fuck myself for doing so, but, but, (laughs) which I'm just used to at this point, but again, you can't please everybody. Um, I say child in maturity and not age because actually the most respectful people I engage with are young drag fans. Um, It's the adults that are the problem, (laughs) but we have a unique experience in that a lot of the things that I have frequently answered this question with end up being things that we have actually 
eventually achieved. And I think that that's really fucking cool. And I'm super, super grateful for that. Um, so for example, uh, I, a couple months ago said, oh, about a year ago said my, my biggest goal would be, I would like to work in a touring capacity. And since then we have worked in a touring capacity and that's been really fucking cool. So my answer would now be, I, I would like to do so in a way that sustains. I'd like to do so. A lot of the things we get to do are like, we get to do it once. And then like, we don't necessarily get to do it again, but we did get to do it that one time. And I'm grateful for that. And that's good enough for me. This time, I think I'd like to have a bit of longevity in that. Um, I I think that we've put in so much work and we are, because of the things, partially, I'm going to say it's partially luck and fortune because we've been very, very lucky in that we've struck a chord with the right people here and there and been offered the opportunities to do certain things largely before we were ready <laughs> um, <laughs> and had success with it. But it's also just hard fucking work. We've been doing this and it's been, you know, put we've been putting our all into drag, drag media, drag events, drag everything, you name it, for so many years, for, for almost a decade now. We're coming up on nine years. Um, so it's partially hard work. Um, but I think we're at a point where I'm ready to do work. That's not just like a one-off goal of, Ooh, I got to do the thing. Okay, cool. And then we don't really do it again. I'd like to have longevity in that, um, getting press passes and working press at certain events was another one like that. Like we did it once and I was like, okay, cool. Maybe we won't do it again. Yay. And then we did, and then we did again and then we did again. And now we frequently do it. So that kind of longevity, I think we've put the work in to like deserve that kind of longevity in very certain goals. And I would like touring to be one of those. Now we went on a few tours. We, uh, we assisted some of them. We tour managed some of them. We did other things for some of them. Um, and now I would like to do that again. <laughs> I, would like, I would like to have repeat success in that. So I'd like to be doing that, but I think, um, and I think we're on our way to doing that. We've got some things projected for this year that are just looking really, um, really fucking excellent. And I'm really excited. Um, but I think, uh, if I was, if I were to set like my loftiest, most pie in the sky goal that we are not necessarily currently on our way to, but that I think is in within the realm of possibility, the longer we do this and the more we succeed at these other things I've mentioned, um, I would ideally someday when I am like ready to not be on the road anymore, I would like to be able to produce our own events in a space that whether we own it or whether we, you know, partner with it regularly is like ours. I'd like to have our own event space. I would like to produce our own events. I would like to be the person at the top. Granted, I'm still mostly cis and still white. So we're going to just acknowledge that, but (laughs) I want to be up there with those cis men and I want to be producing events from the point of experience we've had where I have seen all of these other people do it in ways that I see issue with and I can learn from that and do better and not just be yet another cis gay man running events and controlling the opportunities and the funds and who they go to and when and where and why. I want to see more women producing. I want to see more people of color producing. I want to see more trans people producing. And I only fall into one of those categories, so I can only do what I can do. (laughs) But the best thing I could do from that point, if I can get to the top up there, is to then turn around from there and 
help up rather than like punching or trickling down. I want to then be able to use that position of privilege and that space and that money and those things that I've acquired or created or however we get there and be able to put my money where my mouth is and put on events that don't have the kind of things that we've experienced, the kind of things we've long seen others experience that don't need to be part of drag. I want to be able to hire all black casts. I want to be able to hire all trans casts. I want to be able to independently and financially pay for shows where I can look at a show director who represents the kind of person in that scene at that time who has the knowledge and wherewithal and experience and intersection to hire a good, diverse, excellent, respectful, fucking entertaining show. And I want to go, okay, I have a better than average amount of money to give you. Let's work on producing a show together and hire the right people. Like I want to, I want to be able to bring consultants in. I want to be able to like, I want to put on events that give opportunity and finance to the right people. And in a way that is, that is going to be equitable. And that is going to be, a, I want to do it without the problems we've just talked about. I want to be able to be to be a person that like gives the people who need to be able to have those opportunities and that cash to to do what the drag scene needs. Mm-hmm. I want to be like part of that process. I want to be producing our own events. I want to work with I want to work with the people everybody should be working with and I want to have our own space to do so where like I can just yeah I want to be in control but in a way that lets me give the control to the people who should have actually had it all along I love that I guess I'd like to produce (laughs) I'd like to get to do our own events where we can fix some of the shit we've seen I'm with you on that. That's pretty much where my career is going. Like I'm in the process of pitching shows right now and trying to redirect conversations to things that actually matter and try to have more important conversations in these universal, (laughs) in these universal spaces. And, you know, I think that's really where I want to end up as well as more so on the production side. Um, um, in more of that capacity than an on-camera side. I, I would love to host and do other things like that. But as far as like having to be the content, I would rather just present the content. Yeah, you know what I mean? totally. And like, I mean, I don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm a drag artist too. And I like positive attention as much as the next person. But like, I feel like I, I, I'm, I don't mean to denigrate my own role or my own drag or anything I represent by any means. And I think that like, you know, queer femme representation is important as well. And I, but I have had a number of years now where younger queer femme people from all different, you know, experiences, whether it's in drag or out of drag, come to me and say like, hey, listening to what you've said and watching your experience, uh, excuse me, I've got the hiccups again, um, has really Mm. helped me along the way and helped me navigate whatever, whatever, whatever. So I'm very, very fortunate to have had a little bit of that experience. I don't need to be at the center stage getting told that I am a role model. And I don't think that in this day and age, I personally am the type of face who should be the face of something anymore. Um, It's not really what I was going for. And I don't need 
more attention for representation than I have already been given. Um, so I think that's part of the reason that like, also like I'm used to standing behind the camera now because like the whole point of doing Drag Coven was to archive and document and not to be the one on stage. And yes, I get on stage and yes, it's fun. And yes, I love it. And yes, I was gonna fight for like my right to be there as a non-cis male person. But we kind of did that. And like, that's an ongoing process, sure. But if I can work my way up through the other skills that we accidentally <laughs> um, learned and honed in the process of being told the stage was not for us, and I can then turn around and use those to platform the other people who were also getting told they ain't shit around me, like, right. because just because of who they were, like, Again, I would love to be in a position where I could like take, you know, take that piece of the privilege pie and like kind of distribute it amongst like those who supported me along the way because like I'm not, I might not need it anymore. Um, and I just think that like we're sort of primed to do things like become producers and have that sort of like background role and kind of play a role in hopefully making this a little like less damaging of an experience for everybody so if I could like do that or play any role in like creating a space where people aren't gonna have to experience the kinds of things we experienced and or we saw so many of our friends experience in various contexts like that's I think what really 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 appeals to me the most I would like to be I don't know where I think I'm getting the money in this scenario, but I would like to be like this <laughs> rich as fuck old lady who like walks into a drag bar, like, you know, in some kind of obnoxiously colored fake fur um, and like comes up just like covered in perfume and like tips like the newest performer, like their absolute rent in cash just because like I liked the song they did and they looked like they were really trying. Like, I don't know where I think yeah. I'm getting the money. I want to walk in and just like, because like that would have, you know, had I been getting paid my worth or tipped by those around me um, when I was a brand new artist, rather than being told that like, I didn't fit in and didn't deserve it. And I was appropriating something that people like me had always been involved in and like, and you know, being told that I should, you know, if I didn't go unalive myself, someone else is gonna take care of it for me because of the genitals I have in that space and it wasn't ideal and blah, 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 blah. Had I been, instead of navigating all of that, simply working on my drag and getting paid like everyone else and or, you know the way that everybody else should have been because let's be face let's be real like most local drag artists are getting underpaid um yeah. regardless of who they are and what they look like um had i just been able to like work without all the other bullshit i would have had that would have been like such a life-changing thing for me and i think we for everybody involved in drag we'd all everybody involved in arts we'd all be a little further ahead than we would be otherwise i want to i just want to like be like rich as fuck and able to like oh, you're a really cool artist and I like what you're doing or I like what you're saying and I see you putting the effort in. Like, let me tip you the fuck down for this work you did. Let me hire you at an exorbitant rate, that, you know, so then you don't have to worry about rent this month and you can actually like buy yourself that new wig you've been eyeing up or like whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to be that like, that like stinking rich old drag queen who's just like tipping people hundreds, tipsy in the corner because they can. Like, <laughs> I totally feel you on that. That is... <laughs> That is the dream. Like I was mm -hmm. like, like I, like I have that fantasy of like, you know, being the one that walks into the club and like just loves the environment so much that I end up buying the club and I'm just like, yeah, like you know, yes. I, I, 
fight, like come and save the struggling drag bar and like give them the respect that they deserve and like turn it into like a old school cabaret. Like, 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 like I would love to bring the era of like Torch Song Trilogy drag back. Fully. Oh. Like it's just like, that's, I feel like that's like every artist's like you hit a certain pace and age and space mentally and like just in your experience where you're like, okay, I'm slowing down and getting a little bit tired, but like, I still want to engage in this, which means that like people coming up under me and and, like who are younger than me need to continue doing it. So how do I play a role in making sure that happens so that I still get the thing I love, but like in a way where I'm like, I, I just want it to be mutually beneficial. I just want to do whatever I can to like help it happen and happen well and in the right way for like the right people. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just want to like, and it's not even like a savior complex thing. I'm not even saying I want to like, I don't know. I just want to be able to see a version. I want to get to whatever the role is. And maybe it's not as a producer. Maybe it's not as like a venue owner. Maybe it's not as whatever, whatever the role is where I have, where I can put my money where my mouth is basically. And and in a way that tangibly helps the kinds of artists, because I will also say, that 99% of the time, with like the exception of like the previously mentioned brew girls who were like really pivotal for us at the beginning, the people who would come up to me, you know, in random cities when we'd like run away from the scene that we were technically a part of because we were experiencing so many bad things and we'd show up in some random little town in middle America in God knows what state, having like known nobody there. And we'd walk up and either somebody would come up to us and say, hey, aren't you those drag coven girls? Or say, hey, I don't know who you are, but like, I like how you look, so I'm gonna come and talk to you. And they always, always ended up being like the most supportive, uplifting, encouraging, either temporarily or long-term, like, you know, maybe just for that night or maybe from there on out. And it was always, always, always people either similar to or quite unlike ourselves, but who experienced their own version of like getting fucking shit on for who they were. Like whether it was, you know, where, regardless of where that came from or what part of their like intersecting identity it preyed upon, it was also the people who were also being undervalued and underpaid and like undertreated that kind of treated us the best. And so I- I just think that, and I think it's, you know, I think that's true almost anywhere because like they kind of understand the struggle, but I think we all also have experience where we, we see somebody, I mean, there's that whole like social narrative where the bullied becomes the bully, right? Because they don't heal their trauma and then they feel like a power trip by treating others badly because thank God they're not on that side of it anymore. Like, I want to be whatever the opposite of that is. I want to be the one who like can play from whatever role, from whatever position, can play a role in like helping the people who are coming up behind me not experience the kind of bullshit that we and our friends from varying points went through. So I, from my experience, I feel like that's probably like a producer or space owner of some kind, but God only knows. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I'm totally with you on that. That's, that's, that's what it feels like to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. Do you guys plan on expanding the coven at, at any point? Um, That's a question we've been asked a lot over the years. And our answer has always been no. <laughs> and it's not, <laughs> to put it succinctly for like once in my life, like no. But here's here's why. Like we, <laughs> we used to get this weird 
we've got, there's been a lot of weird narratives. We've had a very odd experience. And it's, it's simply because, I mean, like, A, misogyny, but also B, like, we kind of reached a point of like visibility and notoriety in such a tiny sphere that it was like magnified like it felt a lot bigger than like it really was like at the grand scheme like well people come up and be like oh my god you're a drag coming you're like so famous and i'm like no like like maybe 500 people know who i am it's just that this is such a small social sphere that to you it feels like everyone knows who i am like it doesn't mean anything outside of like very particular context like but when you get to that kind of visibility, again, how we talked about before, like a lot of people will just make a lot of assumptions or invent their own narratives and, and that kind of thing. Um, so we've had so many odd experiences where um, lies have been told about us, rumors have been started by someone who, you know, had an expectation of us that was completely arbitrary that we didn't even know about and thereby somehow did not fulfill and they became angry with us for it without us even knowing. Um, lots and lots of expectations put on us, lots and lots of assumptions made about us, literally just for like what we were doing because what we were doing at the time, which is common now, was not common then and it was therefore very, very misunderstood. We were misunderstood as people, as drag artists, as content creators, as media quote unquote professionals, like our intentions were misconstrued. Like there was just, and any time we talked about it or defended ourselves, we were portrayed as entitled foot stomping little fangirls who were everything that's wrong with like women in queer spaces. Uh, we're sorry, women in quote unquote gay spaces. Um, and so we ended up like that particular thing and people being very familiar with who we were and what we did, but not necessarily to the point of visibly recognizing us as individuals was taken advantage of for a lot of years in people like lying that they were us to try and get into clubs or trying to like use my name to get on like a drag queen's guest list to an event that I wasn't going to in a state I've never been in um and that kind of thing and so we kind of like originally we kind of did consider expanding drag coven because like for the purposes of documenting and archiving it would be much more effective if we had lots and lots of members all over the place and we could document every drag show under the sun you know what i mean but we kind of ended up right. making the choice kind of out of self you know a bit of like self-preservation to just keep it between the two of us and the only content that gets posted is like content that is taken by either myself or jamie simply because that meant we couldn't get accused of favoritism. That meant nobody could misbehave badly under the guise of like our brand and, you know, the the claim that they are quote unquote representing us because 100% we, and primarily I, because I'm a little louder online, would get blamed for like other people's bad behavior. And it was already happening, even though we did keep it like closed ranks. And we'd get a lot of accusations from people being like, well, you know, you're unfriendly. And I don't think that you should be like allowed to like get all these perks and benefits um, because, you know, you won't let other people be like part of your club. And I'd be like, I understand that. But also like, A, I'm not obligated to. I don't know you. <laughs> and also B, is not a club. We are literally just two people who became friends and started doing something silly together. It's not a club. There is, there's never been a club. It's literally like, would you walk up to two people sitting together at a food court and go, I can't believe you didn't ask me to sit with you, even though you don't know those people? 
no you wouldn't like that's fucking weird so like that's kind of what and every time i would say that because i would tweet that back to people and be like would you go sit with two strangers at a food court would you go up to a lunch table at school and be like fuck you for not letting me sit with you even though i didn't ask no that's <laughs> weird behavior so why are you doing that to us we are literally just two friends who gave ourselves a dumb nickname why do you care like so because we'd get a lot of people being like, well, I can't believe you won't let other people join your man, 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 man. Nobody wants to be with you anyways. And I'd be like, then don't, babe. I didn't ask. Like, because, and, and we've had people pretend to be us and then, or behave badly and do something that got them a lot of backlash and then lie and say, it wasn't me. It was, it was drag coven. Or I once had um, somebody from another city here in Canada make a whole entire hate thread about me with hundreds of comments about like these horrible things I'd done. And then come to the end when I finally weighed in and said, what night are you talking about? And they said it was such and such show on such and such night at such and such venue. And I posted video footage of me in another country that night and said, it wasn't me. I wasn't there. I was in another country and here is proof. And they said, holy shit, for years I've been mixing you up with some other white girl. I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh, understandable. Dude. But I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that a lot of us brunette white girls don't look very similar. But if you're going to denigrate <laughs> me, you better make sure it's my name because like that wasn't me. And like, and we just got so because of experiences like that and, and I'm not going to sit here and act like we've had like the worst experience ever because I'm very fortunate for my experience in drag and like the good has always outweighed the bad or I wouldn't be here but we've had a lot of shit happen and so because of that we kind of you know it, it was never worth opening up drag coven to others and here and there we've had a handful of people ask if we're willing to do so but the ones who are actually interested because they want to they maybe also work in media or they also care about like archiving and preserving like this wild current trend in drag when i explain why we don't work with other people they fully understand and they go you know what that actually makes a lot of sense and it's not that we won't work with others or that we won't whatever it's just that like you know drag heaven was never a thing we'd like open the ranks to um because it was just us two idiots being silly <laughs> um it started as a joke like there was never an intent to be like a group or a crew or a, or like a little like club um but yeah it's uh it's definitely something we've sort of kept close out of a little bit of self-preservation and also like there's a double standard too right in that when you occupy this weird confused position where some people recognize you and think you're really cool and some people recognize your name and want to hate you for reasons they can't pin down misogyny um mm. it's like it's it's hard because you know for example i once had a person say to me or post about me to a friend well i saw courtney conquers at a show and like she didn't say hi to me so what a fucking bitch and the person was like well, who you know? are you I, exactly and the person was like well do you know her like have you ever met and they were like well no but she but she's not social she didn't talk to anybody and so they my friend was like, well, but if she had walked into the club and announced like, wow, my name is Courtney Congress and I'm here just so everybody knows, hi, I've arrived. The person was like, ew, disgusting. Like I would have hated that. And my friend was like, okay, so, so damned if she doesn't, damned if she doesn't, right? Like, so if she doesn't talk to you, it's a problem. But if she does talk to you, it's a problem. Like, what does one do with that? And it's something we've experienced she a expect lot. You to, what does she expect you to no do? Idea. Like, like literally walk in the room, announce your presence like Janet Jackson on right. fucking Will and Grace. Right. And if then I literally would do that, I'd be like everyone in the room and be like, Hi, my name is Courtney. 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 Fuck you. Exactly. 
like, like introduce myself like anybody cares like mama so like, like that who kind are of you experience, the mayor exactly uh, no i'm some i am literally just like a tit in a wig who cares like so <laughs> Who cares? But like, it's the same like kind of logic that would apply here. And that if we, when we said no, we aren't inviting other people to be in drag coven because it's like not really a thing that we it, that that's not what it is. People were so angry and thought we were like closing our ranks and being exclusive and not letting others in our cool little club. Blah 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 blah. But then like, had we ever actually posted and been like, we've decided to recruit for our group. Oh my god, the absolute. Now all like, of a sudden you're a fucking cult. We would have been crucified. We would have had people all over Reddit be like, who the fuck cares? Why the fuck would I want to be part of your stupid little club? So it's, again, it's damned if we do. Literally, like, what? It would have been so weird. We People would have hated us regardless. So we, you know, it just like that wasn't really the nature of the thing. So we kind of never bothered. And now it's like, um, well, and that, and coupled with the fact that, like, and I'm just going to say it, and I'm sure people will roll their eyes, but, like, we've been used as shit as well because people perceive us as having access to a lot of things we don't actually have access to. Like, people think that we can just waltz backstage at something and, you know, oh, can you get me so-and-so's autograph? Can I get a free meet and greet because I, like, walked up? I don't even know you, but I, like, follow you on Instagram. And I'm like, babe, I can't even get a free meet and greet. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, My this, girl, what do you mean? <laughs> this is still a business. Like, I'm not, you know... So we do people get think people you just trying walk to in, that you have like yeah. People think that this, people think you are like best friends with the owners of World of World of Wonder. That you just walk in to work like, the world like 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 I could stay VIP in a club like literally like well if I work the world I could because I tour managed it but that's because I tour managed it like not because you know what I mean like you were on duty like you were on the clock. Right. And so, like, it gets it's this weird misconception that, like, people can, people are very, very, very entitled to, like, something from us, whether it's time, energy, uh, attention, association by association, that kind of thing. But if we mm-hmm. do not provide it, if we fail to play the role that they have arbitrarily set for us as an expectation, we are trash garbage. We are entitled. We are horrible. We are mean. We are cruel. And that's not always the case, but it has happened to us so much that it it just kind of took things like trying to expand Drag Coven into being an actual like media conglomerate just completely off the table. Because we, I mean, we even tried to do way back in the early days when we first realized that like followers were starting to roll in. Someone messaged us and said like, hey, um, a really young queen, I don't even think she does drag anymore. I don't remember her name, but a well-meaning, very sweet young queen said, hey, like, do you do shout outs and follow trains? Would you post my photo? Um, I'd love to just like get a little bit of blah, blah, blah. I'm in a small scene. It would be nice. And we were like, fuck yeah, sure. Like, I don't know you, but sure you're nice. Like, cool. And we posted her photo because we just wanted to like help a girl out. Like, and we said, hey, here's so-and-so from such and such city. Like, yay, give her a follow. And people, the queen did not provide us with who took the photo. I think she took it herself. Like, I think she had like a little like home setup. And because we hadn't said photo by photographer name here 
people who didn't even know her and didn't didn't care and weren't going to follow her started like roasting us saying like well oh my god as if you didn't take a photographer wow drag coven hates artists so we were like oh jesus fucking christ i don't even know this bitch like (laughs) so we never again posted any kind of like if we did not take the picture the picture does not get posted if we did not take the video the only time we opened up a little bit was um in the pandemic we had all these followers sitting on this our youtube had right now i think it's like somewhere around 80,000 subscribers at the time i think it was closer to 90 but um we had all these followers sitting wishing there was content and we couldn't provide anything new because we couldn't go anywhere um and then all these drag artists were sitting there not able to perform so we said like if you have created a piece of you know digital drag a piece of media a video that you want people to see like you're welcome to send it to us we made a submission link we said you know send it to us dragcoven at gmail.com like we'll if we have your permission we'll post it and it could live on drag coven where all of our followers have access to it because that's mutually beneficial in that all of our followers will see it and follow you we put everybody's handles in it um and then also that gives our followers something new to view because we are literally legally trapped in canada they close the border so um so that was the only time we kind of opened it up that way but in that moment we did it with drag artists directly like if we got any videos that weren't supported weren't submitted by the person in the video we we didn't post them so it was a little bit different but um yeah it just kind of it was it was a thing we definitely considered but it wasn't due to the nature of people just being rowdy and misogynist it just didn't you know it I think the day um one of the last people who actually like no kidding wanted us to seriously consider like making them quote unquote part of a member of drag coven um we went to a, a bar here in Hamilton where I live and we were at a show and Jamie and I were standing sort of like for up front of the stage and we'd waited, you know, an hour or two just kind of standing there because we had said we were working. We'd said we'd do media. Um, but we have a lot of experience where like the person that's hired to do media, because back in the day we would just do it for ourselves and like nobody was hiring us. So a lot of times there were other photographers or videographers there because they were actually working the event and we didn't want to get in their way. So we would go and stake our spot out really early and stand there for hours so that we could like, if we wanted to be at the front, it was our responsibility to get ourselves there at the front instead of fucking around and then expecting that like we'd get to stand at the front because we had cameras. That's like not how that works. But the hired photographer would often, not so much anymore because drag has changed a lot and there's like I think a little more understanding in like the spaces for the performers and stuff and the and the fans but like back in the day it was fighting for our lives in like dark grody sweaty clubs like these, these photographers would come up five minutes because they were also often house photographers not drag photographers so they didn't really give a fuck about whoever was on stage so they'd push their way through elbow all the fans out of the way stand in front of someone who'd been waiting for three hours to see their fave take up a bunch of space elbow a bunch of people and then like fuck off between sets and then like come back and do it again and so when we started getting hired we never wanted to be that photographer who like has some fan have a shit night because we didn't stake our spot out nice and early and we ended up having to push someone out of our way did we get accused of doing it anyways yes of course we did did we ever do it literally no not once in my whole life and anyone who says otherwise is liar liar pants on fire and i'll say it to their face um and Mm. i will never concede on that because we never did it not once ever but um 
like I'll deny it to my grave, but we get accused of it constantly. I've had people straight up say I've punched them in the face to get a, a good spot. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because your ass was at the back and I got there four hours early, even though I was working. So you're lying, but by all means, um, we're just easy to blame shit on. So like when Man. we started working, we would go really, really early to stake out our spot because that's also beneficial to us. I have a, a, a less hindered view if I go and stand where I need to be standing. Um, and so the show started and, and I was out of drag and I'm, you know, pretty sure I'm like five, four, five, five. I'm pretty short. I was at the front. Um, and halfway through the show, this group of, I don't know if they were regularly performing drag queens or if they were just like people in drag for that night, but a group of very drunk people in drag sort of pushed a lot of the fans aside and push their way through there was maybe six or seven of them and just really were like not respecting other people's space being very entitled pushing people who waited a long time to see the show out of their way so that they could stand at the front because they had decided they were in drag so they got to be there and one of wow. them began pushing me a lot like really pushing me and i very much stood my ground and i didn't even engage i just did my thing and people behind us started sort of laughing because this person was so much bigger than me and they really like they tried to push me out of the way several times and i was like no like i just stood my ground did my thing and didn't let them fuck with me and like that was that was the end and we're so used to that that i left the show and i was like it didn't really register that like that had even been a thing and i got home and i got a message that said um drag coven is trash suck a bag of fucking dicks and i was like no thank you <laughs> and the person said well you're you're such fucking garbage like i saw you and your 12 members push your way to the front tonight just because you think you're better than everybody else you entitled fucking bitch and i was like what are you talking about like i i said I had a camera in my hand. I stood at the front and this person over and over again went, you didn't have a fucking camera. You're just a fucking bag of shit because you da, 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 hurling all this stuff at me saying that I was the queen who led the group of people to push everybody out of the way during the show and butt everyone in line and go stand at the front. And she said, you know, we saw that one short girl in the front not let you push her. And ha ha ha, that bitch didn't, you know, she was so much smaller than you and she didn't let, she didn't relent. So how, you know, hope that makes you feel like shit. And I very quickly realized that the girl at the front that they were talking about was me. I was the one who wouldn't move. And this person was just verbally berating me and insulting me and hurling all this stuff at me with the understanding that I was these these people who showed bad behavior, not realizing I was actually the person who was getting pushed around by those people. But they saw exactly. a group of people in drag and they just made the grand leap in logic and assumption that that was drag coven. And they kept saying, well, you and your 12 fucking members. And I was like, I'm not I'm not going to make this a real conversation with you because I don't really know what you're talking about. I need you to know there are two of us and we were hired. Like there's only two people. There's only ever been two people. And she was like, you're a liar. And just screaming at me. And I was like, oh my God, you are literally mad at me because someone who who pushed you did the exact same thing to me and you just have arbitrarily decided it was my fault like so that kind of thing like even when we're working and stuff like we've we've gotten a lot of like very odd treatment and so we just like we love making friends and we love being social and we love working with others but largely unless it's someone like we kind of know and have met a few times we'll kind of keep to ourselves because otherwise like either we're gonna get hurt or someone else is gonna get mad and it ends up being like not beneficial for anybody so we kind of just don't 
do that. We, we kind of just keep it to ourselves. I don't fucking blame you. That's gross. Like, yeah, I, but I mean, again, like our, our positive experiences vastly outweigh the negative ones. It's just that in this context, there's been a lot of weird shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. I did chow. Ooh, God. oh, child, you better than me, cause God, <laughs> child, you you are a lot better than me, and you are definitely going to somebody's heaven, and hopefully not the one that they showed on this season of Drag Race, cause that drag heaven, I'd oh my go God, listen, if you listen, hell. if you listen to the background versions of some of the videos on Drag Coven, you will realize that I am not as calm, cool, and collected as I make it sound. I have been known to go off when people get pushy, and then and then and then I go, oh shit. I was filming that. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> While you're doing the editing, you're like, yes, that piece of shit. Fuck you, Literally. <laughs> During a last of number. While she's up there singing anus, you're like, fuck you, you piece of shit. Whoa. Yeah, I it's think that video bad. exists. <laughs> that would be me. 10 million. I-, I guarantee you, there's at least one video of me out there recording Alex doing like panic at the disco and I'm like because I'm also <laughs> standing there in full drag tough yep. in, in heels holding a camera oh and when you're in drag club. and when you're in drag people want to touch you so bad they want to touch you so bad and it is and I'm and I when I was out there in drag, like I was either dressing like really hyper realism, like super hyper femme drag, or I was mm-hmm. doing like really like genderless androgynous drag. It just depended on when you saw me. But yeah. when I would be in this hyper femme realism drag, I would like it would you would swear I was like a prostitute on the corner begging to be assaulted. Like it like like you would like, it, it just oh yeah, like people want to, I was having this conversation the other day actually with a friend of mine who, and like the logic holds regardless of like your size or height, but her specific experience was that she's teeny, 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 tiny. She's like, I'm five, five. And I think she's at least an inch or two shorter than me. Plus she's just like very slim. She's just an extremely tiny person. And she experiences a lot, which I have as well as like a shorter person a lot of people will look at, they look at any drag artist and they go, oh my God, it's sparkly, I wanna touch it. But then their inhibitions or their like boundaries or their respect levels are kind of down because a lot of people are intoxicated in some manner at a lot of shows and a lot of bars. It's just like a part of the scene. It's just what happens. And if they look at you as like a smaller or shorter or visibly less like quote unquote threatening or, um, you know, less like depending on what you're dressed like, whatever it is about you and what they perceive you as to be like more inviting, there are certain people who, if it's you or the seven foot five broad shouldered person standing at the back in drag, who they think, if I fuck with that person, they're going to beat my ass. They're going to pick you. They're probably going to pick the shorter person or the person whose drag that they find visibly more inviting. So whoever and whatever it is about you, that your hair is their favorite color or you're shorter than them or whatever it is like 
they're gonna touch you. They're gonna fuck with you. And they take very arbitrary, hard to track visual cues about you as like an invitation that you certainly did not communicate. Um, so yeah, so my friend was talking about how being such a small person, she experiences a lot of people doing things like just lifting her off the ground without permission out of nowhere. Yeah, um, which I find I very. I have strange. literally punched people in the face. I've yeah. like the only time that I've thrown drinks on people or like physically assaulted people is in drag, is because yeah. like yeah. like I've had like 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 I wish I could find this video to this day. To your point, I, there's a video. I don't. It, it was on Alex's phone, which is why I don't have it. But right, I, I was recording Alex doing a number. Never forget it. And this person walks by and literally like palms my entire crotch. Oh my god! As they're walking by, and you literally see me in the video punch him in the face, like oh I'll, as you like, should. I just like I stop recording, like 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 it goes from me recording. I need a gangster. <gasps> <laughs> All you hear is just rustle <laughs> and scuffle and cursing, and the video just oh goes crazy. God. It's cameras everywhere. It is a mess because I start a full blown fight in the middle of the club. Oh, yeah. Well, and for me, like, I'm a person who doesn't do stranger touch or aggressive touch, like, point blank, period, end of, yeah. unless I have to or unless I'm like, I'm prepared in some way, asked or consulted or something that it's going to happen and, and there's a reason for it, right? Like, I am I mean, I'll, I'll hug a person when I meet them, that kind of thing, whatever. But unexpected, particularly aggressive st- touch from people I don't know does not fly with me. I do not, don't fucking touch me. I used to have merch that said, don't touch me. Like, don't fucking touch me. If it's, I'm, not, I'm just not a physically affectionate person with the exception of like particular people in my life. Um... And so when people get very aggressive in these crowds, uh, particularly if, again, something about your drag is something they find inviting, or you happen to look like the type of person that because of their intrinsic fucking biases, they just don't respect as much. Like we had a video once where um, a person was trying to tip the performer, but they'd asked me to film that number. And I never want to be in the way of someone getting their money. So I had sort of like crouched down so that people could reach above, over, around, in between, you know, me and Jamie so that like the performers could get their number or get their money, but I could still film their number the way that I'd agreed to. And so this person, this big tall guy, he just like, he went up and he tried to tip, but the queen like didn't see his number or his bill at first. And then he like got tired. So he started resting his armpit on the top of my head. And I was like, Oh hell no, bitch. Gross girl. Like, and it wasn't aggressive at first. And I was like, okay. So I kind of went, I kind of moved my head and said, excuse me. Like, and so he started resting it over my shoulder, like a sweaty armpit on my neck. And I kind of shrugged it off and whatever. And he took offense to me shrugging it off. And he started sort of doing it on purpose and trying to put it in my face and trying to push me and laughing with his friends about it. And I finally said, like, please, can you stop touching me? Please just stop. I said, I've got, I've moved it out of your way. And you can hear me in the background of the video. I've moved out of your way several times. Please stop touching me. Like, I'm actually trying to film this for her. I was asked to do so. Please stop touching me. And I was super polite. And he started bumping me into the edge of the stage from the back, like body checking me, laughing with his friends. And you finally hear me just fucking lose it. Like I just, he, he pushed, he violated my consent so many times. And I finally just turned around and you just heard me be like, fuck, don't fucking touch me. Like, and you just hear me scream it. And like the, the queen on stage finally was so frustrated with him. It turned out to be somebody they all knew. And he had such a Mm. reputation for getting wasted and being disrespectful that she ended up like 
basically just grabbing him and bouncing him out of the bar as like part of her number. And he came up afterwards to the show director and he was like, well, this girl like wouldn't let me up to the front. And the show director went, well, why would she let you up to the front if you weren't at the front? Like why, just because you want to stand somewhere doesn't mean you get to move somebody else who's been asked to stand there, who waited hours to see the show just because you like feel entitled to like their space over them. Like why? She went, okay, well, so tip over her. She's fucking five foot four, like tip over her. And he went, well, she punched me in the face because she's homophobic. And the show director went, oh, you picked the wrong girl to try and tell that lie about because darling, what? And he got in all kinds of shit. And for months, this is a city I didn't even live in. We just like had a lot of friends there. And for months and months, this guy, every time I showed up, he would start telling the bar around us, like that girl punched me in the face. She's a homophobic slut. Like she blah, blah, blah. He'd start telling all these lies. And I was sitting there being like, I am literally holding a recording device. I have the whole thing on film. I put it on the internet. The video's up there somewhere. It's somewhere in the depths of Drag Coven. Um, I was just like, I don't, so we just kind of like accept that like people are gonna do what they're gonna do and disrespect the people they're gonna disrespect. And like, we just, I'm always holding a camera so we can usually prove whether it's a lie or not. But I just couldn't believe that he had like so much disrespect for other people's space. And I, it wasn't even personal to me. Like he would have done it to anybody, but like to then turn around and immediately lie because your bad behavior was so bad and you didn't want to face any consequence. So you're going to sit there and look at a queer woman and say, you're a homophobic bitch, you punched me, when in reality, like none of that happened. I was just like, okay, well, I have the whole thing on video, so I'll put it on Facebook for everyone to see tomorrow. And I did. Weird. See you on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, like, and it's like, I shouldn't even have to, I shouldn't have to deal with any of that, but I'm so used to it at this point. Like we come home from so many shows just, And not even if people are like trying to be disrespectful, but like, you know, people's judgment is not the best when they've been drinking, et cetera. And like a lot of people are in certain spaces for the first time and they don't realize that like, you know, people don't necessarily appreciate behaviors A, B, and C. And like, I never, I I don't always want to assume there's some type of like malicious intent, but I, we kind of stand elsewhere now we kind of if we can find a good place to film that's not in the midst of a crowd um or like near other people partially for the quality of the content because the more people actually like pay us to show up the more like they actually expect better than like guerrilla filming from you know the depths of me fighting for my life in some pit of of people um but also because I can't uh, you know nine years in I'm just I'm tired of being manhandled I'm tired of coming home from gigs covered in bruises with people you know elbowing me in the jaw and then turning around and saying that it was because I did something I've never done in my life because they just don't want to face the consequence of like oh I punched a girl and I probably shouldn't have because she didn't fucking do anything like that All was right. just and it, and it, that goes that speaks to a lot of problems in um nightclub culture and also like drag specifically um and just these public spaces but I just I can't do it anymore I'm too old <laughs> I'm t- and the yeah. older I get, the meaner I get. So I don't want to also go off on somebody like too hard. But as far as I'm concerned, if I've been respectful and you've put your hands on me without permission, it's open season on your ass now. So I don't know. Oh, I'm right there. Oh, child, I'm right there with you, child. I, uh, child yeah, like I told you before, honey, you better than me. Cause <laughs> I, I'm just child. Mm-hmm, not me. Don't you love I'm people? Uh, no, exactly. I, child, I'm. Mm-hmm. So y'all gonna send me to jail or hell today, honey? Cause it's getting written. Mm-hmm. 
dude. I'm like, screaming. With it. Because I'm already, like, not a public, like, sociable person. Like, I'm yeah. already, like, 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 me being in a crowd of people, I'm already pissed off. Just yeah, me completely. Being in a crowded, me being in a crowded public place, I'm already irritated. Mm-hmm. I am already irritated. I'm like, I don't want to be here. Why am I here? No, no, no. Which is so no. funny because, like, that's an experience I hear from so many of my friends in drag. And yet here we all still are. We all because, are. Because we want to engage in community. You know what I mean? And it's a public thing and it's a visual thing and it's a performance thing. And I do want to go out and I want to be in queer spaces and I want to meet people and I want to be sociable. But it's, and it doesn't always, I mean, these bad things, again, these bad things do not always happen or I wouldn't be doing any of this. Um, But I mean, they stand out when they do and we have experienced it an inordinate amount compared to a lot of people just because by nature of what we do. But it is so funny that like so many of us find drag and other nightlife and entertainment spaces and become so involved and and passionate about them even though we like don't like to be touched and don't want to be around strangers and like crowded places make us anxious like (laughs) it's a weirdly common experience (laughs) like we are all like reclusive ambiverts (laughs) introverts who don't like people don't want to be bothered and yet we're all like we're gonna go be drag queens that perform for thousands of people and literally out of people's mouths with our teeth delicious yeah how did we get here i always joke that like i know it really is it really is i i always think i always think of like when you know the big the big queens that everybody admires get like q a questions that are like what's your advice for someone who wants to start drag and their advice is don't do it don't (laughs) don't retire bury that it's always that it's like what are you what advice do you have for oh for somebody who wants to start drag, don't. Literally, in the in the uh, iconic tagline of Bible Girl Six Six Six, quit drag. Quit drag. <laughs> what do you tell somebody that wants to quit drag? Retire. Yeah, uh, exactly. And but and yet, if I ever actually did, I'd be like so despondent. I'd be so upset. Speaking as a person who actually did retire, this podcast was supposed to be me coming out of drag retirement, <laughs> and then it just didn't <laughs> happen. Because oh, no. I was like, okay, I think enough time has passed that I can, you know, try to perform without Alex again and, you know, try to get mm-hmm. back to the point of things. And then I was like, mm-hmm. Alex was the reason why I felt comfortable going out in public. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. An, that's a huge important element, right, too. Like, I mean, Jamie and I have always done, um, well, not always, but have often done our individual drag separately from each other, um, especially because there was a time where we were, like, assisting different, like, televised drag queens, and so we were spending a lot of time apart. But in terms of, like, what we do with Drag Coven, particularly because one cannot easily or to a good quality standard both photograph and film a show at the same time, like we are used to doing a lot of the traveling and the touring and that kind of stuff together. And are we both like perfectly capable of doing certain parts of the job and or like socializing and or being at shows separately? Like, yeah, of course. And we go out without each other all the time. But when it comes to like existing as drag coven, like you're kind of, a, we're kind of a package deal. Like that's kind of the, that's kind of the gig. Like Exactly. Oh man. Lesson learned today, drag is masochism. 
truly drag is i well i mean how many queens have again sat in interviews and said things like drag hurts and like you're gluing things all over your body and everything's body. heavy and tight and <laughs> you're putting chemicals in your eyeballs like yep. you're, like you're gluing things to your body and walking in shoes that are made to be uncomfortable like like you're literally fucking yourself in the ass but don't we literally. all look good but we look fucking amazing, don't we? <laughs> Damn yeah, it. I mean, drag is, <laughs> I feel like the suffering is so intrinsic in like the whole drag experience, but like the, I, I, I always say, because a lot of people do, a lot of the questions we do get asked, either they are directly about the negative experiences we've had, or they somehow were influenced by and or lead around to very negative experiences we've had. And I never want to be like Little Miss Downer or sound like I'm like complaining too hard, which isn't something that like too many people have said to me. I mean, here and there again, like people will say anything to us and it's like wild. But um, so I always say, I'm like, we'll always emphasize like the good outweighs the bad. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. Like the majority of my drag experiences are beautiful, empowering, positive friendship based experiences experiences but goddamn do we suffer for drag like everybody who does drag suffers for drag yeah it is literally a labor of love child. i don't know how we do it but god mm-hmm. bless all the children that do child. shout out to y'all grateful <laughs> is there anything that you would like to share with my audience and i that i didn't cover in our conversation today Honestly, you're such a good interviewer. I feel like we covered just about everything. I feel like, well, no, here's one thing I think that we didn't talk in super in depth, but we did touch on a little bit. And I think just like fits in with the whole real reality, realness theme intersecting with where I come from is that I think with what we were talking about with like intentional consumption of media and like critically analyzing like the messages we're given through the things maybe we seek for escapism but can't just mindlessly accept like i think drag is a really good and drag race and dragula and call me mother and these shows are a really good example of when it comes to the sphere of like where you are talking from and reality tv specifically that like these are people and not just pawns of entertainment. And that's particularly important to consider when we are talking about queer people who have, as goes for all of us, already faced so much shit and still chose to quite vulnerably put themselves on a platform in a way that is linked to their true identity but by nature of reality TV is not always the accurate portrayal of who they are or what happens. And I think that that's really, really like brave. And I think that when we're consuming reality TV and we're watching things like fans on Twitter be like disgustingly racist or transphobic to certain contestants or whatever, I think that's like another example of where we have to practice like smart television watching and like analysis in our consumption because I think it's becoming more and more and more important to remember that at the heart of this, these are queer artists just trying to like make a living and what happens to them on these shows and afterwards matters. And, you know, they're not like, 
outright victims of something necessarily because they actively chose with their consent to go on a TV show. And like they can definitely, there's definitely lots of ex-contestants out there who display horrific behavior and who should probably be held accountable and who'd continue to get awarded for that bad behavior because they're popular or they're funny or they were on TV or whatever. But for the most part, um, I think Drag Race, the, the further it goes into and the longer it lives in a reality a reality television sphere, the more I think we have to talk about the way that they're treated afterwards and the things that people feel justified in saying to them as though they are not real people. Um, because I think it leads to... I, I mean, there's a greater need for like post-show decompression therapy and like support, mental health support for the contestants coming off of this show because of what they're about to face, particularly if they are non-white um, and particularly if they are fat and particularly if they are not cis male coming off of shows like Drag Race. And I don't think it's necessarily the fault of Drag Race, although like obviously those teams have like a duty of care. But I think it's I, I think it's like society wide and the more that things like the right wing opposition of like arbitrarily choosing drag queens as a target, like I just hope that people who are watching Drag Race and who benefit from consuming that show because it makes them feel good and it makes them laugh and it makes them feel empowered and it makes them yay, woohoo, kiki, I'm going to adopt all this language. It's going to be my personality. I'm going to da 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 die, bond with my friends over this. Maybe I learn with my family over this. Um, that is all thanks in part to the queer, the very real queer people who risk it all and invest thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in and put themselves out to be consumed on this show and I think that that's like a brave choice and obviously like they get certain perks of that and that's great um but I also think like the more I watch Drag Race and the more it goes on for the more I'm like I I want to see people being kinder to those who provide them with entertainment and keeping in mind in the background that like those are actually people because God forbid that you know we've already had how many queens have to withdraw from their season based on mental health concerns that they have for their their own selves you know what i mean like i i think that these this currently airing us season is a really good example of how like harassment has become sort of a an intrinsic part of the experience and i think that that's really really sad because that's not you know, as much as I've just sat here for the last three hours with you talking about all the harassment I faced in drag, that's not an intrinsic, it's not an intrinsic part of drag. It's not the goal and it's not something that anybody should ever be facing. So I think, I think that's just like probably my final, like least expressed thought on the idea that we've talked about a lot here today of like mindful consumption of these reality TV shows is that like, you are because I also think there's a particular phenomenon with shows like Drag Race and Dragula and Call Me Mother in that these are big reality TV shows, but the fame that they garner from them is not as big necessarily as like the Kardashians, you know what I mean? Like other reality TV shows featuring regular celebrities who are probably straight people. Like these queens are suddenly shot into the visible public sphere to almost as big a degree but they are not quite as famous and they are therefore a lot more accessible and so the things that people are willing to say about like you know engaging in trashy celebrity like gossip culture is a lot more likely to reach these queens who are already part of one or more vulnerable marginalized group 
and have already been dealing with that shit. So I, I think that's like my sort of final thought on like responsible, responsible reality TV fan fandoming <laughs> is that those are those are real people who are like probably going to hear you and just like I don't know why people want to willingly engage in making a queer person who's doing something that provides us all with joy face that kind of consequence and feel that way about themselves just because they had the audacity to like seek a better opportunity that's a wild thing to me um yeah, yeah. for sure fingers crossed child I hope that we all get out because we all need to get our shit together no shade honey but at the end of the day I think that the main point of it is is like just like with all good things come bad and I think Mm -hmm. that the conversations that we've had really kind of humanize drag queens and really drag performers in a general sense and really let the people out there who think the drag is just people dressing up and shit just for the fun of it and think that it's all you know fun and jokes and glam and hair and you know whatever the case may be there's not only a lot that goes into it physically but emotionally there's like like pretty much like I don't like I don't know a drag queen alive that doesn't have trauma that's that's directly attached to their drag completely that's directly expressed or you know exercised through their drag so, oh, like, I totally agree. Have some fucking respect and mind your damn business. The, the overarching theme is mind your business. And I think that people <laughs> like, you know, I think that as drag artists, we all have to remember that like it's not always so serious as in like, like I said at the very beginning, like you have to keep that like sense of fun and make sure you're still joy- enjoying what you're doing. And sometimes yeah. we get so wrapped up in that it all does become serious and we kind of like take... I think we've all had like very strong reactions to things in drag that we might not have had otherwise had we remembered to like take a deep breath and think and take a step back and remember that we're here to enjoy ourselves and you know not everything is an attack on whatever our career our character whatever but at the same time I think those who are not drag artists but engage with drag whether they're a fan a producer a club owner this that whatever um, I think that they should remember that for a lot of us, it is really serious. It's our lives, it's our careers, it's our passion, it's our identity, and we're the ones putting ourselves out there. So um, I do think other people should keep in mind that it's not just all fun and games for those at the center. Yeah, for sure. I just, ugh. Oh, it has some damn respect and mind your fucking business. Mind your business. Mind Mind your beeswax. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Now, Remind everybody once again where they can find you, Jamie, the coven, all the things that you want to promote. And remind them where's the quickest place that they can go to mind their damn business. I'm sorry. <laughs> Straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> you are right there with me. <laughs> Absolutely. I will meet you there. Um, so I think uh, Jamie's handles are uh, either jsmith92 or Jamie Queen West. It's actually Jamie Queen West, but social media handles won't give you a little apostrophe. So she's just Jamie Queen West. I am Courtney Conker on everything. My name is actually Courtney Conkers, but they wouldn't give me the S because my name is so damn long. Uh, so you can find me Courtney Conker on everything. And for Drag Coven on on, we've got let's see what we've got we've got tiktok for some reason we never do anything with it but we've sure got it uh we've got twitter we've got facebook we've got instagram we've got youtube uh you can find us at drag coven on everything absolutely 
love that. I, guys, I don't even know what to tell you. This Every time <laughs> I have this person on, I leave feeling like this episode is going to change the world somehow. <laughs> oh my God, that's like so I, nice. Like each conversation that we've had, I'm like, this is going to be the podcast that's going to get me a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> I hope like, so. <laughs> this is what's going to get me on. Like each conversation that I've had, I'm like, with you, I'm like, this is what's going to get me on Oprah. She's going to revive her show just, just for us. As she should. As she should. We deserve this. You deserve this. I'm just here to talk shit with you. Well, I will have you on each and every time that I can, honey. I would love that. Honestly, like this was so much fun. Thank you so, so, so much. This is, I love, Jamie could tell you, Jamie would be rolling her eyes right now. I'm going to get upstairs and she's going to be like, where the fuck have you been for the last three and a half hours? (laughs) Because I'm in the basement. So she's going to be like, oh, what are you descending from the depths? Like I would come on and talk shit with you for three hours anytime. Thank you so much. Now, before I let Dante get back to the inferno, (laughs) I want to thank every single one of you guys for tuning into the show to help me to facilitate this conversation. I hope that you all learned something and I hope you learned the address to go mind your damn business. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I want to send a special, special thank you to my guest who doesn't even feel like a guest at this point. Courtney Conkers for blessing the podcast. Thank you for coming back and hanging out with me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me and for just letting me talk unmitigated and not concisely at all. It is what I need. I love these conversations. So it's like, (laughs) you give me so much to feed off of. I'm like, yes, talk all day. I am here to listen. I agree. I'm with you. Yes. Love you. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And you're doing really important work. Like these are very cool conversations. So thank you so much. I loved being here. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Come back anytime. Okay. (laughs) Now with that being said, I want to remind all of you guys out there listening to be real, stay in reality, and always, always bring the realness and follow Drag Coven. I am Brian K. James. This has been Real Reality Realness. And until next time, I love every single one of you from the bottom of my green heart emoji. Keep the mess in the message. Be used, be useful, but not used. And misbehave yourselves. Peace. Love you guys. What's going on, everybody? Brian K. James here, and I'm so excited to let you know that this podcast is being brought to you in part by Outlander Media Network. Outlander's mission is to bring you the most exclusive alternative content from across the web, from the farthest reaches invading your space. We appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in and never want you to forget to embrace your inner Outlander. I am Brian K. James, and this is Real Reality Realness.